where everything happens and we couldn't really process everything, especially on Saturday where we had eight trades in a span of give or take two hours, a mini trade deadline. Uh, so we're going to break down who Seattle has to choose from the trades that did happen and a mammoth payday for Miro Heiskinen. Episode 278 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And uh, we're going to start off with the Seattle expansion draft. The team hasn't been picked yet, but we know who they have to choose from, Brett. Yeah, we're, uh, it's it's kind of exciting. Like I think it's interesting, too, and we'll talk about the trades that happened the day before. Um, but like you you realize like Vegas, like Vegas, all the teams made a mistake because they each made trades with, uh, with Vegas to not select different guys. And that will probably still happen with Seattle now that the lists are now public. But, um, but what was interesting this year was that there were more teams that were trading with each other, which apparently, I hadn't realized this, but Vegas had in their contract that they, um, they couldn't like trade with other teams if they were to make a deal with Vegas. So it's like, so I guess a lot of teams just decided not to to deal with that, and and who knows what, and I've also heard that Seattle, what Seattle is, um, offering is very very high, like even higher than what Vegas wanted. So that's that's also kind of interesting. But um, what's interesting here is there's a lot of players here that, like you would think, should be protected but weren't. Um, like some you could kind of make a case for it and we'll get into it more, um, in depth in a minute, but, um, yeah, it's like, I think part of it is just like, wait, why do they, why did this team keep this guy? They like, it's not like they're a UFA or their contract's bad. It makes no sense why they would try to protect them. So it's that part is a little strange, but, um, so I feel like if Seattle could be pretty good. Um, and, um, it could be another, like a Vegas 2.0, but this time teams made the mistakes because they protected the wrong guys, um, which I could see happening. Yeah. And there, there, there are a couple of teams, Islanders, I'm looking at you, uh, that we'll get to where they do all of this movement just to create cap space for, free agents and whatnot and they still make some questionable decisions in terms of their protection lists and when we talk about the Islanders we'll go into further detail but essentially they protected a pair of bottom six grinders over two well-known players yeah I I just don't get it yeah um so yeah we'll get into that because that's going to be our first question we'll also get into the trades there was a huge one um yesterday with Ryan Ellis going to Philly, but um, we will start off with the protection list because I feel like this is the most exciting part. Um, So any surprises? So the first question we have here is any surprises for players being exposed? Um, 
so yeah, you just talked about Bailey and Everly, so I, I will let you deal with that. Uh, there was a couple that came to mind for me, um, and, and a couple that we already knew was going to happen before the, uh, the list became official, but the biggest one to me was uh, Vladimir Tarasenko being uh, exposed. Um, so he, we kind of, we briefly mentioned it last week, but um, uh, Tarasenko has requested a trade um, and he, he wants out. It's not too surprising when you consider the fact that he, um, apparently his third surgery uh, was not team doctors, uh, weren't team doctors, which just shows that he has no trust with them and kind of, and you can gather from the tea leaves that uh, he was not happy with how they handled his injury because he, he may never be a 30 goal scorer again, um, or, you know, even like a 20 goal scorer again. Um, and so it just shows that. And like, I think there was like, he was pretty public about not being captain um, over Ryan O'Reilly, which I can kind of understand considering Tarasenko has been a blue longer than Ryan O'Reilly. Um, but not to take away anything that Ryan O'Reilly has done in terms of a leadership role. Um, so I can understand that too. But the fact too, like, that's fine. Like he wants a trade. He's probably getting traded if Seattle doesn't pick him. But the fact that like Seattle could take him is crazy from C from St. Louis's point of view because first off they like they decided to keep Ivan Barbashev who's like a fourth line guy and he's nowhere near the potential of a uh, Vladimir Tarasenko but like you can st and I know that like Tarasenko has a high cap hit I know that he has um, you know, he has injury risk and problems. And so, um, you, you know, his trade value is probably not too high, but like there's a chance that Seattle can take him and St. Louis gets nothing for him when he, they could easily trade him and, and gets at least something for him. Um, so yeah, like you yeah. look at, you look at the caps in this and the uncertain future with Kuznetsov and yeah. Nate Schmidt possibly being traded out of Vancouver both were protected. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that part's insane. Um, and I, I think we were all, like, expecting that, like, Vince Dunn was going to be the St. Louis pick. And I guess that could still happen. But I don't know. I, I think uh, Tarasenko makes the most sense for St. Louis. Because I, 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 I'm really dumbfounded by that. Um, other ones, uh, Price and Bishop, they both decided to remove their no movement clause um, in order for the teams to take uh, or protect Kudobin and Jake Allen respectively. Um, that was kind of surprising and it's it's kind of interesting now because like I, I don't know if Seattle expected those two to be around. I know that there was reports that Chris Dreiger is already going to be a Seattle like that's like a done deal it seems like because um, he's a UFA and, and they've just been like that's been the whole thing so far so they have Bishop and Price out um, I mean both come, still have some factors to them Price has a large price price tag cap hit 
Um, and uh, yeah, so he's making 10 million for five more years. He's also like 35 right now. Um, yes, he, he made a fantastic playoff run, but he's also like, <laughs> he had the last few years he's been like the worst he's ever been. So he's not worth that much money. I don't think Seattle's going to do it, but I would be intrigued if I were Ron Francis to do it. Uh, ben Bishop, I think, might make the most sense. I know he's another guy who has some injury history, but if you look, and, he, you know, he's not exactly young either, but he has, like, um, tw- uh, like you know, he when he's healthy, he's one of the best um, in the league, and he has, like, a $5 million annual average value for two more years. So that's a really good contract for someone like Ben Bishop. And if he can stay healthy, which it seems like he's on the right path, then I, I think that would be the way to go. But there are also Kakanin is available, uh, Carey Price is available. So um, I could see them, you know, not taking Ben Bishop as well. But uh, it seems kind of crazy to, to not, I, I feel like Ben Bishop would be a no-brainer. But, um, but yeah, we'll see. Um, and then, uh, and then I just uh, two more things, and then I I can bring it up to you. Uh, Bailey and Eberly that you've already mentioned. Uh, Justin Schultz I thought was odd that he wasn't protected. Um, I believe there was an I, I wrote this down, but I I'll have to look back here. Oh, uh, that they decided to take Trevor Van Riemsdyk instead of Justin Schultz. Um, I know that Justin Schultz isn't like so great, but like. Really, you're going to take uh, TVR instead? That that makes no sense to me. Uh, Nashville protected five defensemen. Uh, you're already going to talk about Bailey and Eberly being protected uh, or being exposed, so I won't get into that, um, or I'll wait to, to get into that. Capo uh, Kakinen uh, being exposed. Like I get, I get that Cam Talbot um, ha- had a pretty good season, but. Kakunin's your future, so, like, <laughs> and I, I feel like there might be a side deal going on, because that makes, I, I don't really understand that, because, like, you're, you're basically, like, if, if Seattle could screw Minnesota's future all up, because if they take Kakunin, like, Minnesota has no goalies left, basically, for the future, and it's, it's not like, you know, Cam Talbot was pretty good this season, but, um, it's not like, you know, he's still pretty old, and it's not like they have too many goalies in their system that they can really replace him for. So uh, Minnesota might re- really hopes that they, Kakinen's not the pick there for, for Minnesota. Um, and then it's kind of strange, but I, I can kind of see it. Uh, Jared McCann um, and Richard Panic weren't taken um, or weren't protected after the trade to get them. Um, the Islanders specifically, and I guess we can go now to the Islanders, because uh, I know that you really want to talk about them. Uh, so let me pull up their, their list here. So they protected Matthew Parzal, Anthony Bavillier, which makes sense. Um, yeah. Anders Lee, which makes sense. Brock Nelson, of course, all, st- all makes sense. John J.G. Peugeot. Uh, Ryan Pulak, Adam Pellick, they all make sense. Um, 
Then they uh, they also protect uh, Scott Mayfield, Cal Clutterbuck, and Matt Martin, um, who are you know Cal Clutterbuck and Matt Martin are both fourth line guys. Um, Semyon Semyon Varlamov is the goalie, which is to be expected. Uh, uh, Sorokin is uh, not eligible to be taken, so that's why they did that. Um, but like the fact, and we we don't have this on our list anymore. But uh, Nick Letty uh, got traded to the Detroit Red Wings, so that implies that Adam Pellick or Scott Mayfield were they thought that those two would be better than Nick Letty would be, which <laughs> I I don't really understand that. But that doesn't even take the cake for their their the worst issue there. They left Josh Bailey and. Um, uh, sorry, Josh Bailey and uh, Jordan Eberle uh, exposed instead of Cal Clutterbuck and Matt Martin. Um, that, yeah, it, it, like Jake, Josh Bailey, he's like, I can, he may not play as good defense, but like, he's still like a great, like one of the most underrated players in the league. Um, he can like, he's a, fantastic playmaker and can pass all the like among the best of them um and in Jordan Everly, yeah he's been a little bit disappointing but you know he's he's still a pretty decent like depth guy at least more than Cal Clutterbuck and um Matt Martin are so that part to me makes no sense to me but I'll let you get going on that um as well um, and then, yeah, after you're done with that, maybe more, any other surprises that you thought uh, should be noted? I have less surprises and more interesting observations, but this is definitely the biggest surprise of them all, is the past couple of days, Lula Morello is being the magnificent GM that he is by creating cap space. And keep in mind that Palmieri, Zajac, and Sezikis are unrestricted free agents as of july 28th so that's like what close to 10 million cap space if it's not 10 million yeah ish that's pretty significant and you finally move andrew ladd's contract that's been buried in yeah, the minors to, yeah to to arizona for future considerations or just we'll take the cap space it's fine totally fine and like you mentioned, they move $5.5 million out of Nick Letty. They get Richard Panner from Detroit at 50% retained salary. So Steve Eisenman is actually paying 50% of the remaining salary that Panic has left over, right? Yep. And so they're creating all this cap space. If they wanted to take a run at some free agents, they could. And they have the ability to protect Jordan Eberle and Josh Bailey. And they still don't. Yeah. I... Unless you're creating more cap space and say, thank you very much. We're going to sign Gabriel Landeskog to a mega contract. I don't see how you would do this and why this makes sense. Like Josh Bailey has been with the Islanders in the current era, but also the John Tavares era when they were really, really bad at the start of the John Tavares era. This guy's been through a lot. He's been through thick and thin with this team, probably a fan favorite by now. And over the last two playoff runs has been near point of game player. Mm-hmm. So he still has a lot of good hockey left and you're just daring Seattle to take him. Yeah. And I, th- and I think if Seattle's smart, they probably will. Um, de- depending on 
the term because th- this this is what people need to keep in mind here with Seattle. What I noticed with Vegas is they took guys with two years left on their deal, with three years left on their deal at the max four. And there were a good chunk of guys they took that were in contract seasons. But they didn't go out and say, oh, this guy's got like five years left and like six or seven million per year. Let's take him. They didn't do a whole heck of a lot of that in their expansion year. They went with short-term guys to start off, and then they went from there. So is Seattle going to take the same route? I think it's probably the safer route, which might be why the Islanders think that um, they're going to not take Josh Bailey or Jordan Everlay. Whereas I feel a guy like Cal Clutterbrook or a guy like Matt Martin would be perfect to Seattle's identity. Right. So I, I guess in that standpoint, I can see why Lula Morello would protect those guys. I still think the cons outweigh the pros in this scenario. Yeah. Because Jordan Everlay and Josh Bailey are better players than Cal Clarbuck and Matt Martin in terms of offense production. Right. It's, it's the cold hard truth there. I, I'm i not that crazy about the Mayfield thing, but I, 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 I can definitely see the pros of what he did. Adam Pellick the is the, it's the other one, too. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not that upset with them protecting Mayfield and deciding to trade Nick Letty over that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not mad against them at, on, on that front uh, at all. And, like, you look at some of the other guys that are available for Seattle to take, like Komarov, Richard Panic, Thomas Hickey, Andy Green, who they signed to a one-year deal. It, it It's not like it's the end of the world if any one of those guys goes. And I'm almost kind of wondering if there's a side deal going on here, which I hope it's nothing significant because uh, the, the Islanders – had to fork over a fair bit to Vegas and Lamorello I would say at this point is in the driver's seat I don't know why I would put myself in that position where I'm giving Seattle assets to not take Jordan Eberle or um, Josh Bailey and and say no to that opportunity like it, it, it just wouldn't make much sense for him to cover up that decision with Hey, we'll give you these assets if you don't take either of these two guys. You know, yeah, it, it not, that that would be kind of bad, and I would expect more from the GM of the year. But um, yeah, I think most of this is cap space oriented, and that's True. the that's the only logical reason I can see there. So so that's my outline of the Islander stuff. Uh, if you if you want to add some stuff, you can. But I was thinking of going over. Uh, observations after this point. So uh, do you have anything else to add? Yeah, well, I do have some more observations. I mean, we kind of have... I was going to ask you if you have any more surprises on the list. Yeah, so Nashville, I don't know if you know, Brett, they didn't protect four defensemen. They protected five. Yeah, I had that on my list, too. They protected Carrier, Ekholm, Fabro, Yossi, and Philip Myers, who they got in the Ryan Ellis trade, protected Saros because uh, Pekka Rene is no longer an NHL goalie. He retired this week. Congrats, Pekka. Yep. Uh, and the fours they protected are Forsberg, Tanner Janot, and Luke Kunin. And you'll notice where Duchesne and Johansson, uh, they're exposed, both of them. Yep. And they're masked cap hits. Uh, not entirely surprised. I thought one of them would have been uh, left unprotected. I didn't think both of them would, but 
Yeah. It's not that I guess It's just interesting that Nashville went with five defensemen. I didn't I think guess, anyone would do that. Yeah, yeah, same. I, I think I, I had that in my notes as well, but I think it's kind of surprising because they... Um, it is surprising that they went with five, especially those particular five, but it's not so surprising that they left Duchesne and Ryan Johansson exposed, especially when they, like, traded off Arvidsson, they traded off Ryan Ellis recently, Pecorine is no longer there. It's, like, very clear that they're going in a different direction this year. So it kind of makes some sense that, like, they're probably, like, you know, if they take Duchesne, if they take Ryan Johansson, that, that like, means that they have more cap space uh, for them to deal with for whatever they're planning. Um, I think they're, like, they're not done yet, um, even after this expansion draft. Like, I, I feel like they're, um, they're working towards just getting a lot of cap space. So, so I think that was probably their thinking of getting Duchesne off the books, potentially, and same with Ryan Johansson. And like both have been pretty disappointing when they are in when when they've been in Nashville. So I think that also has something to do with it. I also kind of find it interesting what Colorado did. Um, yep. Not that they left out Landis Cog on the list. The fact they protected Krubauer, who's in the same position as Landis Cog, a potential unrestricted free agent on July twenty eighth. Um, everyone knows that by now Landis Cog and the talks with the Avs haven't gone the way either side was hoping. Uh, I think the team wants five or six million from what I heard, and Landis Cog wants more than that. If if he's asking for like nine or ten million, that's dangerous because in a couple of years you're gonna have to pay McKinnon and right. he's gonna look at those two contracts and say, Well, if these guys are getting that, I want this, which right. is probably gonna be and they, of 10 million. and they also have to pay uh, Makar and um, Grubauer this year, too. So that's mm-hmm. the, the other consideration. What's, what's also interesting is uh, they protected Tyson Yost and Valerie Nukushkin, as well as Logan O'Connor. And you have guys like uh, Jonas Donskoy and JT Kompfer available for Seattle to take. And either one of those guys would fit in very nicely into Seattle's offense. So... That, that kind of took me by surprise as well. Yeah, that is a little a bit surprising. By the way, so this uh, list got announced uh, like uh, five hours, six, no, uh, seven hours ago. So yeah. so just keep that in mind that like we, we all haven't like delved deep into this and put some more thought into who they're keeping and all that stuff. So we probably miss, miss some people. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I can see what you're saying. I, I did it did strike me as odd that they decided to protect Logan O'Connor instead of like JT Comfer or someone that um, you know makes uh, somewhat more sense. Obviously, Landeskog doesn't necessarily miss makes so so much sense since he is a UFA. Um, but um, but yeah, I thought like maybe a guy like JT Comfer maybe would make sense or. Um, uh, Jonas Jansoy um, as well. That would be another one, too. Um, Philly also made some interesting protections. They protected Nico Bay Kubel and yep. names like Scott Lawton and Oscar Lindblom. Meantime, Jacob Voracek, James Van Riemsdyk, and I guess not so surprising, but Shane Gostas Bear also right. available for Seattle to just take off their hands. Yeah, that, that Gostas Bear is not too surprising. I would say Voracek is a little bit surprising, but I guess. It's kind of like a similar way with Carey Price because, like, 
his contract is probably not worth his value right now, so that's probably what they were thinking. Like, Seattle's not going to do that. Um, well, so. there's there's also talks that maybe he would want to change his scenery, but if, if he wants to change his scenery, like Washington did with Kuznetsov, yeah. just protect him so that yeah. you don't potentially lose him for nothing, right? Yeah, that's kind of, I mean, I'm going back to the Bruins here. I, that's kind of what I sort of wish the Bruins did for Nick Ritchie, because it seems like that's going to be the pick. Um, it might be uh, Jeremy Lazon, but um, either or, like, I feel like, like, if you're not picking, I, I guess I can understand why they picked, like, guys like uh, Jake DeBrusque and Trent Frederick, because they have more potential, um, and there's more of a trade trip uh, for those two guys, but I still feel like you could probably get something for Nick Ritchie, or you could get something for a Jeremy Lazan, um, but, um, so that's, Partly disappointing, but maybe, I don't know, maybe they made a deal with Seattle to see. But I don't think it's, like, yeah. any big deal that they're losing. By the way, both our teams uh, did pretty good jobs because I don't see any, like, big key losses um, for any of the ex- people on the exposed list for either team. Yeah, so um, we'll, I'll, I'll take a look at the Sens very quick, and then we'll do more in depth about your Bruins yeah. there. But here's what Ottawa protected. They protected Drake Batherson, smart. Uh, Brady Kachuk, obviously. Uh, Connor Brown, thank you for that, Pierre Dorian. Logan Brown as well. I thought they wouldn't protect him, but it turns out they did protect Logan Brown. Uh, Nick Paul, I like that. Austin Watson, good choice. Uh, Colin White, yeah, I like that. Uh, The three defensemen they protected, Thomas Shabbat, Victor Mete, who has impressed me a little bit, and Nikita Zaitsev. The goaltender, Philip Gustafson. Yeah, that's a little surprising. Which leaves Matt Murray, Joey Decord, and Anton Forsberg available for Seattle to protect. I can understand Murray. Um, kind of hoping that all of the other goaltenders that are available, like Bishop and Price and whoever else, um, make it uh, make it um, make Seattle, you know, kind of like forget about the kind of depth that Ottawa has, because I really liked what I saw from Decord this year. Forsberg is probably like a solid AHL goalie that you could use, that you could bring up in the NHL in a pinch, and he looked pretty well, um, and, he, and he fared pretty well in Ottawa this year too, so I, I liked what he did. Um, other names that are available for Seattle to take, Evgeny Tadnoff, again, the cap hit might steer them away from that. Right. Chris Tierney, if they need center depth, he could be good. And if they want a promising young prospect, uh, Vitaly Abramov, he's right there yeah, as well. So, nice. yeah, I think all things considered, though, Ottawa had a lot of their young guys exempt from this. So unlike teams like the Rangers, the Flyers, the Predators, the Islanders that decided to make moves yep. at the last second before sending out their list, that, tell, that basically told me um, – in the final hours before the expansion lists were due, that Ottawa didn't need to do anything. They had their list set, and for the most part, they would be fine. So yeah. I was very pleasantly, uh, not surprised, but very pleasant, um, well, I, very satisfied. Very satisfied yeah, with, yeah. Uh, with how Pierre Dorian laid things out. So I might, I might have protected Dadanoff, but I don't know if it's like too... 
big of a deal because he didn't have a great season and maybe yeah, the right there wasn't, wasn't anything he did outside of yeah. that Maple Leafs comeback. Yeah. Outside of that, like that was probably his best game of the season by yeah. far, and he had his streaky moments. But yeah. you're you're paying him to put up power play points, and I don't think he scored a single power play goal all year. So yeah. what what would Seattle have to gain from that? That was the only one that really stood out to me. Um, as for the Bruins and then we'll get going. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, I guess the Bruins kind of sort of lucked out because like guys like Taylor Hall, Tuka Rask and David Krejci have all like said publicly that they want to stay in Boston and they don't really think that they're going to move. There's been speculation that Taylor Hall is about to sign something right after this draft anyway. So, We'll see about that, but like they kind of lucked out because most of the the key guys are UFAs, so they don't really have to protect them either. Because then Seattle's not going to be like um, it would be very very risky for Seattle to take them. I guess they could, but it would like I it wouldn't make sense for Taylor Hall to sign with Seattle instead of Boston if um, if that is their selection. So. So they kind of looked out from that point of view. Uh, Patrice, but anyways, I just want to get this through and then we I want to get forward here. Uh, but Patrice Bergeron, Charlie Coyle, and Brad Marchand are the only ones who have no movement clauses. So those guys were protected. Um, I mentioned Trent Frederick makes some sense, um, even though he didn't play a ton in the playoffs, but he did sign a contract. He is basically your, your prototypical Bruin, so that makes sense. Um, David Pasternak, no-brainer. Uh, Craig Smith, he he kind of earned that protection list. I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, he's been, he's been pretty good. Uh, tr- uh, Trent Frederick, Jake DeBrusque is a little bit odd, but I think there is uh, there is it shows that they still believe in him um, and all that stuff. And he didn't. He had a disappointing season this year, but maybe it's just showing that like they still trust him and stuff like that. So. Um, I thought that maybe they would expose him and, and put in like a guy like Nick Ritchie, who had a pretty good season, or um, there was another one um, that I thought they might take. Oh, Andre Kashe, maybe, but um, there was like a slim chance that they would put in Kashe, but um, but yeah, I'm not. I, yeah, I think the injury history with Kashe was enough to. Yeah. Put him on the list, right. thinking that there's no way CL would yeah. take on a guy with that much injury Nick, history, especially with yeah. the little amount of hockey that he's played recently. Nick Ritchie, I think, is going to be the Seattle pick. Um, yeah. He is an RFA. Um, he did have a pretty good season for the Bruins, but um, I, I, I'm pretty sure he's going to be the pick. Uh, if they aren't going to go that route, then they'll probably take Jeremy Lazan. Or um, there's another one. Oh, Connor Clifton is the other one. And and um, although those guys are pretty good bottom pair defensemen, those are guys that the Bruins could afford to lose. So uh, the Bruins did a good job, but again, they kind of lucked out because a lot of the, like Krejci would have been protected if he had signed beforehand. So it's you know it's it seems like they kind of like lucked out this season because mo- the, like three of their UFAs are. Um, are, are this year so um so they're kind of in good shape um before before we uh, move on i just want to point out uh, teams that i think will likely make deals with seattle to keep guys 
Carolina, I think, will. Colorado, yeah. possibly. Um, I, uh, if well, it's we'll not too pricey, maybe, maybe the Islanders, but it better not be anything hefty. Philly, I think, probably does. Um, St. Louis might. Tampa Bay went 4-4-1. Four, four and one. I think yeah, uh, they'll put a pack, package of some sorts together, mostly because they have to create, create cap space somehow. Sure. And uh, Toronto also went 4-4-1. Four, four and one. I can see them maybe uh, reaching some sort of a deal as well. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's true too. There there might be more trades um, coming up pretty soon, and we don't know for sure what's what's clicking. Minnesota, I feel like, has to, there, there has to be some reason for Kakunin being exposed that like there's no like as good as Bill Guerin has been these recent times and we're going to talk about them pretty you know probably in an hour from now but um but yeah like there's no excuse to have Kakonin be exposed like Seattle that's that seems so stupid by Minnesota so I don't know what they're thinking there um uh, so I could see that um also I do want to mention that Ryan Donato being exposed, and they uh, San Jose takes Rudolph Balsers and Jonathan Dahlin instead. Jonathan Dahlin hasn't even played a game for San Jose, and they decide to keep him. Um, makes no, And Ryan Donato was pretty good, actually, when he was healthy. Um, I know that he kind of slipped towards the end of it, but um, I felt like Ryan Donato deserved to be protected compared to all the other guys that... Um, that they did protect. Uh, that part was a little bit confusing. Even like guys like Dylan Gambrell, he's he's shown some good depth as well. So that kind of the San Jose Sharks list made no sense, but it also kind of shows how far they have fallen because it's like really this this team used to be like one of the best teams in the league, and then they're keeping guys like Rudolph Balsers and Jonathan Dahlin um, instead. Um, and Aiden Hill, who they just got. So it's like, what? What's <laughs> like San Jose is um, is might is close to being one of the worst teams there, I guess. But they've been cursed by the Ottawa yeah. Senators. That's the only logical explanation, <laughs> exactly. and I won't accept any other argument. Speaking of which, we'll have Victor on next week, so he'll defend uh, the San Jose. <laughs> he'll so. defend everything we, we yeah, exactly. or or, de- or go against everything. Although when I was talking to Victor, he was saying that it's pretty likely that uh, Ryan Donato is probably going to Seattle. So um, yeah, he would be a good pick for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so our next question here, we'll, we kind of touched upon it a little bit uh, here and there. Uh, so, so I feel like teams go into two different directions. Usually um, either they rebuild or they are contenders. Um, I wasn't necessarily sure if Seattle was going to be rebuilding. It kind of makes some sense that Seattle would be rebuilding. It's probably what the Islanders were thinking as well, which is why they let guys like Bailey and Eberly be exposed. Um, but at the same time, um, they could contend because there's a, a lot of players here. So I kind of split it two ways. Um, and so I have a list of players that if Seattle chooses to rebuild, um, these are guys that make some sense for them on that front. Um, and then if they plan to contend, uh, this is what they're doing. And then so I'll, I'll I'll just read the list here, and if you um, and if you want to add any more players, then uh, 
feel free. So, so that makes sense. Um, so I'll start right now. Uh, so Tampa Bay is kind of interesting, and you alluded to it a bit. Uh, they have – it's funny. When you see their exposed list, it's like there's like 20 guys on there. So like you could kind of – like Seattle could kind of go two different ways from that point of view because they could um, – if they wanted to rebuild, they could go Calfoot. Uh, they could take Matthew Joseph. Uh, Ross Colton has had a pretty good uh, season for them. Maybe they go that way. If they want to go even more like uncertain, um, Alex Barre Boulay, um, he's yeah, he's he's been tearing up the AHL. So that would be. I don't think they're going to go that route because like Barre Boulay hasn't played um, an NHL game yet, and I feel like even Seattle probably is thinking like that's that's pretty risky. Why well, do I have a feeling they've already asked him and Tampa's like no? Right, right, right. Um, and not, not to mention guys like Andre Palat and Yanni Gord are still like out there too. So it's like you would probably rather take those guys instead of uh, someone who hasn't played um, too many NHL games. Um, Jake Bean, I thought was odd that he wasn't selected. Um, I know Brady Shea has a long-term contract, but uh, Jake Bean is like, especially when you might lose Dougie Hamilton, um, Jake Bean would be your like a solid pick for Carolina to like he would be a good replacement for Dougie Hamilton. So there is a potential that Seattle takes Jake Bean and Dougie Hamilton goes somewhere else, and then all of a sudden Carolina has like Jacob Slavin, <laughs> and, and like that's it for their defensive side of things. So that like all of a sudden they're no longer like a big threat if if that those two things happen, and that's. That could happen. Um, so that that was a little strange to me. Um, Kale Clegg of the Los Angeles Kings. I could kind of see why uh, L.A. decided not to keep him, but he's kind of been up there as like a, a notable prospect for them. So um, instead they picked like Matt Roy and Sean Walker. Um, so... Th- I feel like Kale Clay has more potential than those two guys. Um, I think Drew Doughty has a no movement clause, but they uh, picked him too. But um, yeah, Kale Clay would be an interesting pick for them. Um, I I would suspect Seattle will take Tarasenko, but if if they don't, uh, Vince Dunn would be an interesting pick if they choose to rebuild. Um, it's kind of, it kind of reminds me a little bit like a Shea Theodore type thing, where uh, like. They're like, oh, like he, he's kind of young. He's shown that he's been good even on the power play. He is an RFA, so there is that um, risk. But I, I feel like they have more, Seattle would have more control with Vince Dunn if they do that. Uh, that makes sense. As for the forward side of things, uh, Nick Merkley would be interesting for the Devils, although I don't know if they go there. Vitaly Abramov, uh, we just kind of talked about him a little bit. Uh, Ryan Donato, I mentioned before, Alexander True is another one of uh, the San Jose Sharks, who's also been pretty good when of the stints that he's had in San Jose. Uh, Kiefer Bellows, um, although they probably should go with Bailey or Eberle. Um, Zach Aston-Reese and Cole Lind. Um, the, uh, Zach Aston-Reese was kind of surprising, as I 
thought they would probably keep him because he's been decent for them. Um, but I feel like uh, he w- he would be better on another team in a be- in a bigger role. So maybe they take Aston Reese. Uh, Cole Lind is another one. Um, it's kind of like a Berebule type situation where um, Cole Lind has been pretty good in the AHL, but um, hasn't really played it too much in the NHL. So um, it would be kind of risky if they do that, but I could definitely see that happening. Um, and then lastly, as I've mentioned before, Capo Kakinen is another one that would help their rebuild. Um, is there anyone that I forgot or that you want me to uh, want to mention fr- from a rebuilding standpoint? Because we'll talk about the contenders uh, pieces if they choose to go that route. I think someone like Jared McCann in Toronto who had some good secondary yep. scoring uh, in Pittsburgh this past year. Um, I think, you know, if he, if he puts up some decent numbers, then maybe he could be trade bait later. Or maybe he becomes a fixture of your offense and you keep him around. Who knows? But yeah. I think uh, McCann could be a pretty good addition there. Honestly, I I can see why they would rebuild, but honestly, just I, I would consider just playing out the season and seeing what happens. Like there's so I've said before, there's so many question marks in that division. Yeah. Like Vegas is the only sure thing in that thing in, in this Pacific division. Then you have the three Canadian teams, which after this year, who knows what's going to happen there. You have the three California teams that are regressing. Uh, Anaheim, who's regressed to rock bottom. San Jose's heading there. Yeah. The Kings are on the up and up, but I would say they're an average team. And then you got Seattle. Like, that team could be yeah. worst case, I think, in the mix for the wild card. Best case, they could be a, a decent third team in that division so why not just play things out see where you're at and go from there and i think they're gonna get an infusion of veterans but also uh, a fusion of young promising prospects uh guys that have been this league for a couple of years and um there there are obviously situations in tampa bay and toronto and and other areas carolina colorado where they could get some very useful pieces out of that group um, just because of how loaded those teams are already. Yep. So um, I, I think I don't think they're going to be a rebuilding team. I think they're going to be an average team. They're going to be in the middle. Um, and then as to what happens from there, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But I don't think they're going to be rebuilding right away. I think there's a chance that they'll be at least a respectable hockey club early on. Yeah, I – I, I like now that you know the players that could be available, but like if they really wanted to go full rebuild, I, I don't think it would be the worst idea. Um, yeah, no, you're right. But, but yeah, I do hear what you're saying that because of the division they're in, I had to remember, like, oh, wait, who's in the division again? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think Vegas is the clear cut favorite, and then Edmonton should still be pretty good because they still have like the two best players in the league. Um, so, you know, you can never count them out from that standpoint. How good Edmonton will be will determine yeah. how they spend their cap space. For sure. Which but, I'm not yeah. too confident they'll spend a career and, and I And I will say that Anaheim and L.A. could surprise, I think, um, just because they do have a lot of prospects that, um, that could help them out in the long run. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I think there is... 
Um, it is certainly the weaker of the four divisions, so there is definitely potential for them to do that. But, like, you know, they could take, like, Jake Bean and then, you know, take all these other, like, players. Like, they, like they don't they can mix and match with all these guys that I'm about to mention. Um, Jeremy McCann is also an interesting choice, too. It would be kind of funny, too, because Toronto just made a trade for Jared McCann, um, and then they all of a sudden lose him for nothing. Um, and then, uh, as for if Seattle plans to contend, um, they, uh, so Tarasenko, who I talked about in the beginning, I know that he's, uh, he has injury history, we don't know, and he has a high cap hit, but Seattle literally has, uh, like, <laughs> a lot, like, no caps, like, has plenty of cap space for him, so Tarasenko makes a ton of sense for them to take, um, and I know that he's like 29, and you know, it's kind of like reminds me of like maybe of a little bit like a Mark Stone. Obviously, Mark Stone's better, but uh, like Tarasenko, he could be a captain there. Um, he could be a captain in Seattle if he wants to be a captain. Um, I think the first question that Tarasenko needs to ask, and sorry for interrupting, first question he needs to ask is, how are you guys going to help me with my shoulder issues? Right. Because. We don't know a damn thing about Seattle, the team, the organization, let alone the training staff. So I think he needs to iron out a game plan as to how they're going to settle his shoulder issues. If there are any future problems, how are they going to deal with it before he can really put himself into that position? Well, I, don't... I really I really think these shoulder issues could be career ending for him. Yeah, no... not settled correctly. That that is a good point. I I imagine they could they could select him. Like I, I, I wonder if it's tampering if he's allowed to talk to the team doctors or or like if the team doctors are allowed to talk to him before they can select him because I feel like that might be tampering. But I don't know. It might be a different story. Maybe, but I yeah. this situation is so unique, maybe maybe the NHL um, is sympathetic and they give him a pass on that. Right, right, right. Yeah, that that but, part. But you do bring up a good point that I guess there is that uh, that worry. But I don't know. I think it is worth the risk if you're a team like Seattle because you have nothing to lose, uh, pretty much. Yeah. Um. So like, even if they can't help him, it's I I would still I would still take it because like Tarasenko is a thirty goal scorer. Um, you may never get that again, but at the same time, like, like those are hard to come by for free. Um, so, uh, other guys, we already talked about Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson. Um, I guess those are other guys that are like, you know, they've had, uh, like they had bad seasons this year, but we know what they're capable of. So maybe they need a change of scenery. So that would be interesting if they go that route. Uh, Nito Nitterreiter. Again, I think uh, Seattle should take Jake Bean, but you know, Nitterreiter is another one. Uh, Jason Zucker, I thought was interesting that he was exposed. Yeah. Uh, we already talked about uh, Jacob Voracek or Shane Gossespierre. Same with uh, Josh Bailey and Jordan Everly, as well as Price and Ben Bishop, but all those guys would make a ton of sense if Seattle plans to contend. Um, Jason Zucker is also great in the community too. Yep. So if you want a community presence for the Seattle Kraken, Zucker's your guy. Yep. 
Um, I briefly mentioned it when I was talking about Tampa Bay, but Andre Palat, Yanni Gord, or Tyler Johnson uh, would be a good pick for uh, Seattle if they take those guys. Um, maybe even like Eric Johnson. Um, I guess he's another guy like Tarasenko who always gets injured and all that stuff, but yeah. um, but he's a good shutdown defenseman. And you need those guys. Um, and it's like it's not like Colorado would. Like he, you know, he didn't even play as, um, I think he only played like five games this year. Um, yeah, but, wasn't a big factor. Yeah, but it, well, like you know, Colorado still was dominant without him. But like, if you, <laughs> um, so like uh, they could afford to lose him, and and he's a good player. Um, Max Domi, I thought would be interesting if Seattle takes him because it's kind yeah. of like a same type of thing with Matt Duchesne or Ryan Johansson. Um, but he's just a little bit cheaper than those guys. Uh, Frank, Frank Vetrano, I thought would be interesting, um, mm-hmm. as well as Justin Schultz. Um, and I mentioned that before, but like I guess Justin Schultz is kind of he's a little bit less uh, than those other guys. But um, I thought that would be interesting. Um, is there any other guys that you think that Seattle has to have if they plan to can truly contend? Um, I think. If your offense is going to be very unpredictable, and by unpredictable, you don't know what you're going to get every single night, and you expect to win hockey games early on, you need a shutdown defense that can hold their own. And there are some underrated guys, um, and I and I, I think there are some guys in free agency that could help, like Yanni Hakenpah of the Hurricanes, one of those depth defensemen that you probably don't really notice but if you look at the top of the hits leaderboard this year, he's right up there. And that's a list that includes Brady, Kachuk, and Racco Gudis. So I think some some of those guys, they, they need to add into the picture. Uh, the depth, the very useful depth guys like Colin Blackwell with the Rangers, they need those type of guys there too uh, to help things out. Andreas Janssen um, with the Devils. Now that uh, Pittsburgh made the wise decision to protect Teddy Bluger, I feel like Johnson is the type of speedy forward that they need um, on breakaways. I think he could be really good there. Um, and and there are a couple of like cheap defensive options that you could plug in on the power play, like Eric Gustafson, perhaps. Yep. Maybe take a chance on him. If it doesn't work out, then you trade him at the deadline. Uh, sign him on a one-year deal and see what happens. Um, maybe they take a look at Thomas Tatar as well. Just, oh, yeah, that would be interesting, too. Just just uh, roll the dice on a couple of guys, too. Like, yeah. I, I know Ron Francis is a very patient guy, tends to trust the process a lot. I, I definitely think he can't go all gung-ho with every single move that he makes, but I, I definitely think there's no better time like the present being a new team to take some risks. And if it doesn't work out, well, then... You know what? It's your first year of existence. No one really cares. Honestly, you're just trying to make an impression on the league, and you're just trying to get your bearings as to what your team needs. So uh, don't be afraid to make some risks in the offseason. Yeah, the only thing is is that I feel like teams have higher expectations for Seattle because of what Vegas was able to do their first year. That's unfair, honestly. What Vegas did is unprecedented. Of course. It may never happen. Of course, and, and I was about to say that. So, um, so like, it, it's hard to, like, be, like, 
make that into expectations. And like I did to start the show, it's like, um, and we're about to get into some of the trades that happened. It seems like a lot of teams kind of learned in that they made trades to other teams to like help out their situation. But then like when you see these full lists, you're like, oh, there's still a ton of guys that are still available. So Seattle could get a pretty good team. Um, especially like if they get like, you know, even if they like take a chance on like carry price, like, you know, you would think at the first glance that they probably wouldn't, but I don't know. Like there, there is a, there was a part of me that was thinking like, they, they might actually do it. Like, uh, you know, and, and that's a lot of balls on, um, Mark Bergevin, because I have a feeling like if Jake Allen was available, that I don't think Seattle he, would take him. He'd be gone, one hundred percent. I actually, I don't, I don't think so. Actually, because I like, especially knowing that Kakonin and Bishop are available, I, I don't think Jake Allen would be gone. Um, it's not like Jake Allen had so many uh, chances there. Like guys like Jonathan Drouin are available for him. Uh, you know, for Montreal, it's not like. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think Jake Allen would have been gone for Montreal. Um, but, but yeah, I, it, it is a lot of balls on Mark Bergevin's part to take out, like, a guy who's been, like, who is a big reason for how you guys even got to uh, the Stanley Cup Finals in the first place. Or, you know, like, he was carrying the team for however many years. So... Um, so it's, it's a, it's a huge, um, risk on, on Bergeron part, but I, I have a feeling it's going to pay off for him and I don't think Seattle's going to do it. Yeah. Um, I, I think when I say risks, I mean, short-term risks yeah. on like one or two year deals and you see yeah, what happens. Totally I don't see them taking like a four year 50, 50 shot where you don't know what to expect. Yeah. And apparently, so, uh, and this applies to PK Subban as well, but like mm-hmm. if Seattle was to take on a guy like Carey Price, uh, they'd have to repay him the bonuses that are owed that year, um, and so that would be eleven million for Carey Price. And I would think are, the same goes with Jeff Skinner and Buffalo. Yeah, Jeff Skinner's another there, one right? too. Yeah, so it's yeah. like uh, so that's like an extra like. Uh, reason for them not to take them because their yeah. contracts are so bad. But, like, you know, P.K. Subban and Jeff Skinner would be interesting for a contending team because we know what they're capable of. But at the same time, kind of like Carey Price, it's like, well, you're not getting, like, that. Like they're so overvalued that it wouldn't make sense to do that. Yeah, you're, you're getting the draw. You're getting yeah. the athletes that will put butts in seats, no question right. about it. Are you going to get the performance that you used to? Probably not. And uh, also, I th- I saw this somewhere else that, like, Seattle could theoretically take someone like Carey Price and then trade him to, like, Edmonton or Toronto or... Oh, Toronto, <laughs> that would be really interesting now that I say that. But, like, and, like, retain it 50%. But uh, Carey Price removed his no movement clause only for expansion purposes so like Mm. see like carry price would have to be like you know what i 
want to get out of Seattle, so like he would he would have to remove his no movement clause and uh, say like I want to go to Toronto or I want to go to Edmonton, which I guess could happen. Um, but that would be like uh, like Carey Price would have still have like a hundred percent control on that. Carey Price in the Leafs jersey would just be absolute <laughs> torture in Montreal. The city would explode. Yeah, as much as I would hate that as a Bruins fan, I would love it as a Habs hater. So I I, <laughs> I, I kind of want to see that happening. Um, yeah. But um, um, or <laughs> I I had a dream that. Uh, or that Seattle would do this for Boston because then, you know, if, if we don't sign Tuca, and then I was like, that's for us. I don't know why Carey Price, Carey Price would literally have to, like, backstab Montreal, and he's not that type of guy. So, um, so yeah, I, don't, I, I think Edmonton would be probably the only team that he would he might do that for because they're I, I they would, would totally be get a, behind that yeah. like mcdavid dry and price on the same yeah. team like that team has to win a cup or at least be in contention yeah they would so they would, would be yeah he's much better than mike smith would be so that <laughs> um and, and you would get him at like five million that's that's really good and like mike smith yeah. he plays the puck well yeah exactly yeah exactly so um so that that could happen uh, but probably not likely either. Um, anyways, uh, we're now going to talk about signing trades and buyouts. Um, a lot of stuff happened this week. Um, even before Saturday, um, it was really funny because we had like uh, Steve. What for those who don't know, Steve usually puts out all the lists of new NHL news uh, the day before we record, and I just usually pick some things to happen, and um, and we were kind of expecting, like, okay, we'll talk about Duncan Keith, we'll talk about mm-hmm. um, the Nick Letty trade that just happened, and we'll talk about this stuff and that stuff, and then, um, and all of a sudden, <laughs> like... Uh, yeah, all, of a, all of a sudden, it became June 29, yeah. 2016, and eight trades happened in a span of two hours, yeah, and yeah. expletives immediately filled my head. It yeah. was so bad. Yeah, it's like instead of like thirty minutes that like you know PK Subban and Shea Weber trade, uh, Steven yeah. Samkos gets signed, and uh, the Taylor Hall trade to for Adam Larson all happened in a span of like thirty minutes. This, and I mean, before all of yeah. that, then uh, we we had the big contract extension in right. Dallas too. So. Exactly, uh, Miro Heiskanen too. Yeah, which we we're about to talk about, but like it was like there were like twenty trades. I feel like. That all happened yeah, in a span of two hours. So it was, it was, it was, it was like, um, it was like July first that usually happens, you know, at the free agency day and trade deadline day. Um, but like, it's all like trades that you're like, oh, this is actually these are all like game changers almost. Um, so we purposely aren't going to cover all of them, but we will get to them. Um, in the coming weeks, we kind of alluded to them um, in the last hour or two. So, um, so, but we we're, we are planning some like team previews, and we'll get to them at that point. Yeah. I think um, so. We will talk about each trade, um, but maybe not as they happen. We have covered like the we we do have the main stories that happen this week, though. So, so we will we'll, we will talk about them now, but. Just for the future, we'll talk about them uh, later on. Um, so, 
so the first item on the list here, uh, Miro Heiskanen. He's re-signed with Dallas for uh, eight years for $8.45 million annual average value. Uh, the last four uh, years of his deal are no movement clauses, um, which I guess aren't huge deals now that there's not going to be an expansion draft, but it's still kind of uh, impacting. We, we, we said that about yeah. after 2017, and then Seattle came along, That's so you true. never know. But I don't know. I, I feel like 33 teams in the league wouldn't make sense. Yeah, so th- 32 is a good number. And yeah, the yeah, divisions yeah. Exactly. are evenly aligned. So I don't think we'll see expansion for a while. Right. But it could still happen. Yeah. Um, and um, and I guess it also could has an effect on, like, trades and stuff. But, like, yeah. Anyways. Um, so, yeah. Uh, 8.45 million, which is huge for a defenseman. But at the same time, like... Miro Heiskanen is, like, he can do both things. He can score, uh, you know, pass, obviously. Um, but he can also, like, defend pretty well. And he's only 22 years old. So it made a ton of sense to lock him down. I think he said that um, he just, like, you know, Dallas drafted him and he wanted to stay in Dallas. Um, he, he couldn't see himself anywhere else, so... Um, so that was a big reasoning for why he decided to stay there. And I guess that kind of like speaks to, uh, what they're doing in Dallas is that like, you know, even though they didn't make the playoffs this year, uh, they're still like keeping the team together and, um, yeah, it's a huge deal, but I can't say that he's not worth it. So I, I like this deal for them. Um, maybe I could, maybe if he starts to, uh, regress a little bit towards the end, but, like they have him till he's thirty years old, so I don't think that's gonna happen. Yeah, definitely something that took me by surprise when you consider the bridge. Well, I wouldn't call it a bridge deal, but the discount deal they gave John Klingberg, where they're not even giving him five million per year, and they give it over like a six, seven, eight year span. Like that's one of the best bargains for an NHL defenseman right now. That John Klingberg contract. Meantime, after a year three in the NHL, they just show Miro the money instantly. And he's the highest paid defenseman on the team. He's making more money than Thomas Shabbat. Um, he's, he's uh, like, for example, in, in years three, four, and five, he's making over $10 million. $10 million in year three and $11 million in years four and five. Um, in terms of signing bonuses, only $3 million this year, and that's it. The rest is base salary. So that I found that a uh, little bit of it uh, pretty interesting. Uh, the lowest it goes in terms of price tag is this year at five million. The final year of his deal at six point six million. So that's that's still a hefty price to pay in the final stages. And like you mentioned, Brett, there's also that no move clause there too. Now everyone knows about how good Dallas's top three is when it comes to. Um, Miro Heiskanen and John Klingberg, and you also have Essa Lindell in the mix. Right. You also have um, Thomas Harley in the picture as well, uh, a young defensive prospect that they've had in the ranks for a little bit. Um, still needs to do his time a little bit in the AHL, but I think at some point uh, you'll see his name uh, on the NHL scoreboards as well. Um, but taking a look at the numbers for Heiskanen real quick, he had 33 points as a rookie. 12 of them are goals. 
So in terms of an 82-game pace, uh, that's 33 because he played all 82 games. Um, only plays in 68 the next year, obviously cut short due to COVID. And he has um, even more assists than he did as a rookie. He had 20, uh, 21 as a rookie, 27 his second year. Uh, ends up with 35 points in 68 games last year. So that's a 42-point pace. And then with 27 points in 55 games uh, this year, he was at an 82-game pace uh, of 40 points. Shots on goal, pretty decent. 182 as a rookie, 163 year two, 121 this year. Uh, in terms of his overall ice time uh, on the power play, it was only a minute 40 as a rookie, and he still got eight power play points, which is interesting there. He averaged 217 as a second-year skater, and that year he had seven power play points. This year he had uh, three goals and 11 points on the power play, and he averaged 245 per game. Around 23 minutes to 25 minutes per game so far as an NHLer this year, Career high twenty four fifty eight, so it, it's it's obvious that the team trusts Miro Heiskanen's abilities at such a young age, with which I think says a lot. Um, you look at his playoff performance uh, during the twenty twenty run to the finals that Dallas had. He was their best defenseman there. The they're banking on this kid to get better each and every single season. And that's why they're willing to give him the money so soon is because he has the pedigree and he has the potential to possibly average consistently 50, 60, 70 points and be one of the NHL's elite defenders. And I also find it funny that out of the top three picks in 2017, not only is he getting paid the most, but um, he also wasn't the first to be traded. Nolan Patrick was. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, well, wait, this happened... Oh, I see what you mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, we're... the same day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He got paid and Nolan Patrick got dealt. Well, and Cody Glass, too. Um, but... Yeah, true, he was also in that draft. Yeah. Yeah, all... yeah it's, it's interesting how, it, how the best defenseman of the draft is on Dallas... And all three of Vegas's picks in that year have all been moved yeah, yeah, now. For sure. Which is incredible. Um, it is funny. Um, yeah, we're, we're about to get to that trade in a second. But I do want to shout out um, Zach Parise and Ryan Suter, who were like, you know, used to be the worst contract in the league. Uh, I guess that title now probably goes to Jeff Skinner, um, maybe P.K. Subban, or maybe Carey Price, as we just talked about. But... Um, but yeah, they both got bought out. Um, and I, I guess Bill Garrett, this kind of speaks to what Bill Garrett was saying is that like after they made the playoffs and they made huge strides, he realized that, okay, they have like, you know, these huge dead weights, um, on their contracts and as good as Parise and Ryan Suter have been, um, I was actually looking at the list uh, the other day and think, um, I didn't realize this, but Parise, uh, for as... Uh, like, they didn't have terrible times in their stint in Minnesota. Um, I'll, I'll pull this up in a second. But, um, like, I... Actually, I should probably 
do that now. I think it was like, wasn't he like top five in points when he yeah. was there? And and like even in Ryan Suter's like final seasons, he was near the top of the league in ice time. So Ryan Suter had a lot to give. It's just the cap hit was yeah. Right. pretty bad, and it, it, it held Minnesota back from getting better. Yeah. And that's what I kind of like about this tough decision from Bill Guerin. Obviously, it's a tough decision saying goodbye to those two guys. You sign them on the same day, you buy them out the same day. Yep. But he, he, he made a tough decision for the betterment of the team, and they would just be spinning the tires year after year after year if they right. didn't do this sooner. So, so, yeah. So, yeah. So keep in mind that uh, Minnesota Wild have been in existence for existence for 20 years, but it's still impressive. Uh, so <laughs> Ryan Suter, uh, uh, and in, in franchise history, Ryan Suter finished fourth in games played um, with 656, um, and he uh, finished fourth in points. Uh, Zach Parise um, finished seventh in games played, um, and point, uh, he had finished third in points, which I thought was pretty crazy. Um, I think the, th- the thing that, or the narrative between Parise and, I guess, Ryan Suter in a way, too, is uh, specifically Zach Parise is, like, he's actually a pretty good player um, for Minnesota, but he just gets injured so often um, that it's hard to, like, see him you know he's not really consistent um however like you know he is it's hard to say that he wasn't worth um um like he he it wasn't like he was an albatross of a contract like it was an albatross of a contract but it wasn't like um like he didn't do anything or like a david clarkson type deal or something like that so um so i i do want to say that do you want i i I, this will be a fun game for you. Do you want to know how who's on the top of both points and games played? It's the same player for the uh, Minnesota Wild what, history. So it's two thousand. Yeah, Minnesota franchise history. Wild franchise history. So I guess, I guess not the, not including the North Stars, but Minnesota Wild. Miko Koivu. Yep. Um, he's the, yeah, yeah, I figured it's probably the only yeah, one. Yeah, that that's right. Yeah, get. they said goodbye to him last year, too. That was another tough yeah, decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, uh, he's the only one who's played a thousand games for the Minnesota Wild, interestingly enough. Anyways, uh, back to, uh, Zach Parise and, uh, Ryan Suter. It was, like, you know, I, I guess it was not too surprising that they did this for Zach Parise, um, Considering that he's been healthy scratched a bunch of times, I was critical of it when you mentioned it before. But after a while, I kind of bought it, especially after I saw that he had like 18 points in 45 games. Still, that's like 0.4 points per game. Uh, not too bad, but uh, I could see it um, where I could see him being like a depth guy uh, for a contending team. Um, I kind of want the Bruins to take him because I, I think he still has some left in the tank. The Bruins um, are going to be in on every single guy that gets bought yeah. out, probably. <laughs> yeah, maybe that, that's, that's definitely possible. Um, but like, I know he's 36, and um, he didn't like he didn't look so great. But I don't know. At the same time, I still feel like he has some some left in the tank. It's kind of like a Corey Perry, Eric Stahl type player. I feel like. 
um, he has the potential for. Um, but what was more surprising was that they also bought out Ryan Suter, because I feel like Ryan Suter at least had some, like, he was being used um, in defense. I guess this was so that the Minnesota Wild could protect Matt Dumba um, instead. But, um, yeah, it, it seemed um, that, that part is a little bit of a head-scratcher. This is a guy that the Bruins should definitely take because he's a left-handed defenseman, and that's literally what the Bruins are looking for. So, um, um, and I don't really care if he's 36 years old. It's, that's totally okay. But, um, but yeah, it, I, I think it was more uh, surprising that Ryan Suter went than Zach Parise because I, th- I figure... I, you mentioned this to me uh, before that there was a report that uh, when Garen called Zach Parise, he like understood and he was he was like you know he had a conversation with Bill Garen. He's like, okay, I get it. Um, and he, you know they it, wish it wasn't his first rodeo. Yeah. Like the writing was on the wall. Was yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he was just like, all right, yeah, like yeah. good luck with everything and all that stuff. So it was it felt like it was a nice thing. Then when. And Ryan, he, he actually yeah. called Ryan Suter, Zach did, to talk about it. And then Ryan Suter gets a phone call and is the guy that just bought up Parise. Yeah. Uh, and then Suter finds out the cold hard truth that he's no longer in the team, hangs up mid-sentence, yeah. and the call ends. So, uh, so that I mean, it was showing that that's more of a surprise for Ryan Suter. I don't know yeah. if I 100% believe it because, you know, it feels like Ryan Suter's just being a sore loser, but I guess it just shows that that's why um, that's just, it was just that much of a thing for, um, or that's how much he cared about it, I guess, at the same time. Um, and I, I guess yeah. this is alludes to, like, how Minnesota ha- still has to pay um, Kaprizov and... Uh, Fiala, so this is probably how they're going to do it. I mean, and upgrade also, down the middle, because yeah. don't forget, there's also Benino, who's yeah. a free agent. There's Ian Cole, that's a free agent. So they, and yeah. Victor Rask is a free agent after next year, so you slowly got money coming off the books. Right. Here's, here's where every single move that Bill Guerin makes has to be spot on. Yep. You look at Ryan Suter's buyout, and I, I swear to God, it's uncanny. They signed on the same day, got bought out on the same day. Even their buyouts to the letter are identical. Yep. Here's how it breaks down. So it's $2.37 million this coming season. Then it's $6.37 million the season after that. $7.37 million years three, uh, years three and years four. And then after that, uh, $833,000 for the final four years. This is for both players. I believe, Brett... You are only allowed to have two people on your buyout space at the same time. Minnesota has used both of them at the same time, and it's going to be continuous for eight years. Any move that Bill Guerin makes has to be the right one because he can't afford to put anyone else on the buyout list for another eight years because Suter and Parise, for the time being, are on that list, and they're going to be paying a lot of money to those guys. So... If you're gonna pay Kaprizov whatever he wants, fine. Mm. That, that contract will prop that new contract will probably end when this buyout ends. Right. Um, you look at their potential upgraded center. You need to hit on that. You need to hit on the Fiala extension as well. So this is where the hard work starts for Bill Guerin. 
He did a very hard thing. He got Suter and Parise off the books. So he's got money to spend now. Now he needs to spend it in the right places. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. Um, by the way, I just I have some breaking news here. Oh. Uh, so according to Frank Saravelli, um, he's been on top of it, by the way, uh, for yeah. the last couple of days. Uh, he says that Carey Price um, uh, may miss significant time next season with a hip injury. So that might change things for who Seattle takes um, because, uh, because of the hip injury that might happen. Um, so uh, I, I, I guess... I bad for my comments about Montreal because it just get, keep, yeah. their chances of getting back to the playoffs just yeah. keep taking hit so, after hit every freaking day. Shea, first Shea Weber, now Carey Price. And it also seems like yeah. Tatar's probably not coming back. We don't know what's yeah. happening with Drouin and now Price. Like, jeez. Yeah. Exactly. How so. unlucky can you get? Yeah. And Philip Deneau is probably leaving, who's like one of the best mm-hmm. defensive yeah. forwards ever uh, in the league right now. I almost said yeah. ever. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, there's that. Um, but, yeah, anyways. Um, yeah, going back to Ryan's, uh, Zach Preeze and Ryan Suter, I, I think it's. I, I still feel like both of them have some left in the tank, and I, I kind of I feel like both could go to a contender. Um, but, yeah, it's probably just not. For, it's just they were unfortunate that they were just on a bad contract. So, um, yeah. But it wasn't like like it wasn't awful for them because they, they yeah. were pretty good when they, it's just they weren't healthy. Um, so there was that. Um, uh, Keith Yandel was also bought out. Um, that one also wasn't too surprising as well, just because, um, you know, we talked about this early on in the year. Oh, actually, before we go on to Keith Handel, I did have one point, uh, cause you mentioned that they do have some cash space, even with Kaprizov and Fiala that they still have to sign. Uh, they could go out and get Jack Eichel. Um, they have yeah. enough prospects to do so. Um, I've, I've heard that they could be in play for Eichel, but Garen has said that he doesn't plan to break the bank for Eichel, and that Christian Dvorak might be someone that else they target. Ooh, that would be interesting. Happen, I so. could, yeah. yeah, they do have options that they're looking at uh, down the middle, so they're looking at some sort of an upgrade. What that upgrade is, we don't know, but uh, they're definitely looking at improving that. Yeah, I, I guess I wouldn't be so opposed to Minnesota doing it because they do have enough pieces to do it. Um, but then again, it's like, okay, Marco Rossi, like that could also be your biggest strength too. It's like you have Marco Rossi, you have Matt Boldy, uh, Adam Beckman, Kalen Addison, um, Capo Kakinen, um, if he doesn't go to Seattle. So it's like you're... Um, so you could trade them to get a guy like Jack Eichel, but then again, it's like, but Marco Ross, like you got Marco Rossi for a good reason, you know? So it's like, maybe you don't do that, but I don't know. I can just imagine that conversation going so well between Buffalo and Minnesota fans. It's right. like, Hey, you guys want Marco Rossi? Great. We have Jack Eichel now. What, what do you mean yeah. you have Jack Eichel? And don't ask questions. Have a nice day. Especially that Buffalo picked Jack Quinn ahead of Marco Rossi. Yeah. Yeah. You got uh, it both, but yeah. at what cost? Exactly. Um, so, so there's that. Uh, going to Keith Yandel, I guess, the, again, this isn't too surprising because he was, like, there was that whole thing about him 
like losing his Iron Man streak, and then it turned out he didn't. Um, but so it, it just appeared that he wasn't um, with it or anything like that. This is another guy the Bruins should take, um, and he's from Boston. So uh, I mean, this, this is another guy that I want the Bruins to take. Um, and I know that he's kind of like a Tory Krug mold, uh, older version of Tory Krug. So I'd be okay with that. Um, and also a little bit taller than Tory Krug as well. So I, I would be okay with Keith Yandel. Um, but uh, yeah, so Keith Yandel's a free agent now as well. Um, but I, I guess it kind of some, makes somewhat sense considering like he wasn't really playing too often uh, even later on um, in the season. Um, and, you know, Florida still made the playoffs and they were one of the stronger teams in the league. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it, it made sense. So writing on the wall was when all that controversy of him being healthy scratch. I don't think he ended up getting healthy scratch, but there was... Um, but like it, it kind of showed that they're, they don't see eye to eye with each other. Yeah. Taking a look at the buyout uh, for Keith Yandel. Um, it's a 2.3 million, uh, cost to the Panthers in year one, this coming season, 5.4 million in 2022, 23, and then 1.2 million in years three and year four of the buyout. So it's not like the Suter and Parise situation where the cap hit is so outrageously high and it's with two years left, so it's only four years they have to pay this out. And they actually um, save a little bit of money in the final uh, two years of that as well. So for Florida, this helps because now they can go out and either A, get a key piece or two, or, um, you know, give Barkov the money that he wants. And also keep some of their depth guys. So I, I can I can see why they made this move, especially when you consider the development of Mackenzie Weger in the season that he had, and the fact they also have Aaron Eckblad and Gustav Forsling uh, played some good hockey for them this year. So I'm, uh, it, it's unfortunate for Keith Yandel, but if he wasn't getting bought out, he was getting traded. Like this was his final season, likely as a Florida Panther. Whether you wanted to spin it any other way. It, it just wasn't working out for them. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it's, it's kind of weird too. Cause I guess we kind of talked about him a bit. We devoted a whole episode to him uh, back when those trade rumors were uh, sparkling high, but like, you yeah. know, he, he's a very good offensive defenseman, but he does have some defensive deficiencies that makes him uh, not as valuable, but uh, but then again, like if you put him on the power play, he's he's probably going to score, so or he's probably going to contribute so, in some way. So um, yeah, I feel so like he he's is an worth older version of Tyson point. Berry. Yeah, Tyson Berry. Like good, if you put him with all star talent, he's going to flourish, but he's not going to flourish in every single situation. There are drawbacks to his game, no question. And with Tyson Berry being a free agent, he's literally going to be a poor man's Tyson Berry. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, hey, the, the Bruins will take that, though. Yeah. Any, I, any team will take that. I, I would literally take on any Boston native or Massachusetts native. Jack hey, Eichel. You I, either get Ryan Suter or Ryan Connections to Minnesota, and we all know how Charlie yeah. Coyle turned out for you guys. Yep. Or you get a Boston-born Keith Yandel. You yeah. can't lose. Uh, Connor Garland, Jack Eichel. Yeah, the, I, yeah. I, want, I want all the Massachusetts natives <laughs> on the team. 
Yeah, um, that, that, would, yeah. that actually reminds me, man. Kevin Hayes. I wonder what someone. if you had to make up an all if an all time Massachusetts team had to be made up. There there'd be some good names. Yeah, there would be. Sure. I think I think I saw someone. We're getting a little bit off track here, but I think yeah. I I think I saw that like I think Minnesota has more. Uh, uh, NHL active NHL players than Massachusetts, but it's it's very very close. Yeah, they they're called yeah. the state of hockey for a reason. You know? Right, right, right. Uh, so now we're going to talk about the three way trade. We kind of talked about it a lot uh, this episode, so it's it's a little bit uh, uh, strange to mention it now because it could have been it would have been headline news um, if all this other stuff hadn't happened. Um, tech, I'm calling it a three-way trade, even though technically it was a two, uh, there were two trades, but, um, both yeah. of them involved Nashville, um, and one of them was the same player. Um, so Ryan Ellis finally gets traded and he goes to Philadelphia. Um, and so, um, and then I guess I'll just, we can talk about each, what each team got and then we can. Um, and then we'll, we'll decide on like what this means for each team. Uh, so Ryan Ellis goes to the Flyers. Uh, Nash from that trade, Nashville gets Philip Myers and Philip E. Myers. I think that's how you pronounce his first name. Philip uh, Myers. Philip. Uh, so it's like Philip, but it's not. It's not yeah. spelled that way. Um, and then uh, Nolan Patrick. They also get Nolan Patrick uh, from Nashville, and then almost immediately. Uh, Nashville trades Nolan Patrick uh, to Vegas uh, for Cody Glass. So Nashville gets Philip Myers and Cody Glass, and the Flyers get Ryan Ellis, and Vegas gets Nolan Patrick. Um, this is like technically a, a two a trade thing, but like the only reason why it's not a three way trade is because Vegas and Philly didn't really trade with each other. Even though Nolan Patrick only like was on the Nashville Predators for like one second, so it's like, um, so it's like uh, Nolan Patrick is uh, they they technically got it from Nashville, even though Nolan Patrick played um, last season in Philly. Um, but anyways, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, the twenty seventeen draft class. Nolan Patrick goes second overall. I think Cody Glass was sixth overall, maybe five, fifth overall. Um, but they were both top ten picks. Um, I guess we'll start with Vegas um, because I, I think this is the most interesting of the three teams. Uh, Nolan Patrick, like we've been talking about it all playoffs and perhaps all year. Like, yeah, they have Chandler Stevenson and he's been pretty good. William Carlson's been okay uh, throughout the couple of years, but they need, like, another center. Um, they've been in the Jack Eichel mix, but um, they get Nolan Patrick. Uh, Nolan Patrick, yeah, he's been kind of disappointing, especially for uh, a fifth, uh, a second overall pick ahead of guys like Miro Heiskanen, Kel McCarr, and uh, Elias Peterson, who all went uh, below him. But, um, at the same token, he's still, like, you know, uh, he showed some flashes at the beginning of the year. So, oh, so, by the way, yeah, Cody Glass was six overall. Um, and, and in between Patrick and Cody Glass was Heiskanen, 
Makar and Peterson. So, um, so that, that's that's a bit unfortunate there uh, for for both those teams. Um, but um, yeah, so Nolan Patrick has seventy points in one ninety-seven games. He's had some injury history, which I think has kind of deterred him. Um, but and he started off pretty well actually, but but then he. Uh, yeah, it, it seems like he just wasn't working out for them for whatever reason. Um, so, like, I, I, I guess it makes sense when you have Sean Couturier and Kevin Hayes in the mix that you can kind of, you know, maybe you don't have Nolan Patrick there. Um, but I don't know. It's just um, it's a little bit odd. I, I still believe in him. I think... He'll have a better shot at showing what he's worth in Vegas, um, but yeah, we'll see how that goes. So for, we'll we'll take it piece by piece. So what do you think of Nolan Patrick in Vegas? I think many people were expecting Vegas to make the big move, aka go get Jack Eichel. Um, I also think they need to improve their bottom six depth a little bit. Yep. And I definitely think it's a little bit of an upgrade when you get a former second overall pick. Um, I'll, I, I won't pull punches. This year was a disaster for Nolan Patrick. In his rookie season, he had 30 sure. points, 13 of which were goals in 73 games. This year, he had 30 in 52 games. Oh, wait, no. Sorry, he was a minus 30 in 52 games this year. Right. Year, and he only had nine points in those 52 games. So, yeah, obviously a big regression. Only 14 points if he played all 82 games. That is by far a career worst in the NHL so far. Um, only 49 shots this year, so an 8.2 sh- shooting percentage. Um, he can mix it up uh, on the physical front, which is good. But, again, those those concussion issues are, are a little bit unsettling, the migraines. And, and stuff like that. I think the biggest hurdle for him is his health. If yep. he's able to, to get healthy and like play consistent hockey, just like be on the ice consistently, um, I definitely think that's a strong start. His rookie season, uh, he had 13 goals. Five of them were on the power play. Vegas is a team that needs power play production, so maybe he could uh, help out the odd time on the power play as well. Um, the good news in terms of face-offs, he's uh, won 50% of his draws in every single season he's played. Now, mind you, the most face-off wins he had in a season was his second year when he had 399. But still, it, it, it helps that they get a little bit of depth down the middle if they need it. Uh, and his highest time on ice in Philly was his second year. When he averaged 15.05 per game, he averaged 13.33 as a rookie and 13.17 this year during his toughest stretch of hockey to date. So I I think the potential is still there. He can be one of these, like, projects that they can work on. I don't know what happened with Cody Glass um, because he had such good numbers that one playoff run with the Chicago Wolves one year. And I really thought he had the potential – uh, to break through for that team, and it just never materialized. So they're just like, okay, he didn't work out. Maybe the second overall pick in that draft yep. is going to do better for us. So I don't mind Vegas making this trade because they get, yes, a struggling player, but 
a guy, if he stays healthy, that I think could deliver a bit more upside and can also play center. So yeah. um, I, I think it's an interesting experiment, to say the least. I don't know if it's going to translate into any success, but I can definitely appreciate Kelly McCrimmon's uh, bold play here. Yeah, it's it's definitely an it's an interesting like one for one type trade because like I was about to talk about Cody Glass, um, because like as as you mentioned, Cody Glass actually played pretty well for the Henderson Silver Knights. Uh, he had ten points in fourteen games, and then even in the NHL when he was playing for Vegas, he had ten points in twenty seven games. Um, he also had uh, the year before that he had twelve points. Um, in 39 games, so that puts him at an NHL total of 22 points in 66 games. And that's not too bad, considering, like, he didn't have too much, uh, a lot of ice time um, within those games. So it's like, he definitely has some potential, and I feel like, you know, Nolan, yeah, Nolan Patrick was selected second overall, and Cody Glass was selected sixth, but uh, Cody Glass might end up being the better player and he has been the better player so far um afterwards so it's like um yeah i can see why vegas did it because nolan patrick does have more higher potential but at this point like both of them are 22 years old i'm not sure it makes so much sense to have like you know to take a risk on nolan patrick and in trading someone like cody glass um it seems like you know, it makes you wonder what's wrong with Cody Glass. Um, you also alluded to it before, but um, Vegas, in their first draft um, in 2017, they had taken um, Cody Glass, six overall. They also took uh, Nick Suzuki, um, 13th overall. And then they also took um, who, uh, Eric Brandstrom, um trying to see what overall pick that was um that was why can't i find it um that one was oh 15th overall um yeah you know, like they same position as Eric carlson just yeah. saying yeah <laughs> same position uh nick uh they they also got the guys like nick haig uh jack dugan um lucas 11s in that draft um, but like, it's still kind of crazy that those first three guys are all on different teams right now. Um, particularly Nick Suzuki, now that it seems like he's like a pretty legitimate center. Yeah, probably the yeah. best one so, so far. So it's also interesting that they do that considering it's like, haven't they learned by like trading Nick Suzuki? It's like, I get it that like they, they made, they messed up that trade, but I mean, although I guess they did get Max Pacioretty, who's been pretty good for them, but still, like, they, so, like, haven't they learned that they should keep Cody Glass? I don't know. That seems a little strange. Um, but on the other hand, like, like I mentioned before, I still believe in Nolan Patrick. It's just, it seems like Cody Glass is more of a sure thing compared to Nolan Patrick at this point in their careers. So, so when, when, when you take a look at the ice time, Brett, for Cody Glass, uh, I mentioned how Nolan Patrick's power play time and his power play production, it seemed that he was able to make more of his power play opportunities than Cody Glass. Because you look at Cody Glass, he averaged 13.22 as a rookie and 14.32 as a second-year player this year. His power play time was 2 minutes 14 seconds per game as a rookie. 
two minutes, 18 seconds this year. And let's see, he got six power play points to be fair as a rookie and five power play points this year, four of which were goals. Um, so while his power play stats might look a little bit better than Nolan Patrick's, he's had more chances, more ice time on the power play. I would think those numbers maybe could be a little bit better, and, and maybe that's part of the reason why they didn't think that uh, that Cody Glass was delivering. Although the one thing that Cody Glass did deliver was shooting percentage. 9.8 as a rookie, 14.3 as a second-year player. So, I again, with Cody Glass, the upside's there. Um, they, they just felt that Nolan Patrick uh, could give him a little bit more, so they, they took the chance with them. Yeah, I guess so. Um, Nashville also gets Philip Myers um, in the trade. Uh, they uh, Philip Myers is was also pretty good, actually. I mean, he could be. Uh, I mean, I guess the Flyers, who, who uh, we're going to talk about in a second, ended up probably winning the trade because uh, Ryan Ellis is probably the best player of the four of these guys. But um, Philip Myers isn't that bad either. Um, I mean, he doesn't score a ton, uh, 29 points in uh, 115 games these, um, in three years for Philly. But, um, but yeah, he still logs in a lot of ice time. He still hits a lot. He still like blocks a lot. He has some decent advanced stats metrics as well. So it's like, um, so I, I think it, it's worth it for taking a chance on him and What's what was funny is like we saw the their protecting list, and they you know they decided to keep him, um, but yeah, it's it's just an interesting development that um, he he could be a interesting like shutdown guy. I don't think he'll be like a points getter, but um, or as good as Ryan Ellis is, but I don't think it's like. Um, he's going to be like an Adam Larson type thing where it's just going to fall flat on their face. So I like this uh, trade for Nashville because I think um, Cody Glass and Philip Myers could be good pieces for them as they start to rebuild. It should also be noted uh, that Philip Myers is six foot five and weighs 210 pounds. And I'm thinking, gee, they brought in a defenseman at the trade deadline to be a mighty fiscal presence. Oh, yeah, Erica Branson. Yep. And that didn't turn out as well as they thought. So maybe they're thinking at 24 years old, maybe this guy uh, can provide the shutdown defense uh, that we're looking for. Like him with Borowiecki as well, uh, averaged 18.52 this year. That's a career high. And yeah, like 16 points in 50 games, that's his career high in his second year. So not necessarily an offensive uh, defenseman, not a guy that racks up a ton of shots. But a guy that can play physical and uh, block a decent amount of shots as well. And and I think really hasn't come into his own yet. Like, he played 50 games last year, and that's his career high. Only played 44 this year, only 21 as a rookie. Um, I think if you give him the chance to play consistent, uh, maybe top four minutes, um, and, and just let him develop his craft at the big league level, Yep. Um, I think this guy could be a very solid giant presence for them. And and they need that in front of UC Saros. Yeah, I mean, and Nashville still has guys like Roman Yossi, Matthias Eckholm, and Dante Fabro. So it's like 
like, yeah, they'll probably miss Ryan Ellis, especially this year, but at the same time, just based off of the this deal and the deal that sent Arvidsson away, um, it, it appears that, like, Nashville's just going in a different direction where they're just... Um, they're they're not going to compete, but they're just trying to get by, and and we'll see that. And uh, Ryan Ellis costs six million. Uh, Arvidsson costs four million, so that means um, I guess well, Philip Myers is two million, so that's like they saved like eight million dollars, um, uh, give or take. So um, so that so they have eight million in cap space. They also don't have to deal with uh, Pekarene anymore because he retired. Um, but, um, I mean, deal with, you know, you know what I mean, but, uh, but so I, I think they're, they're starting to rebuild their teams just based off of those, those couple of moves. Um, yeah, I, I, I said with Nashville, they're not going into a hard rebuild, but I think a hard reset is what they're doing. Yep. And when you get rid of a guy that in the past couple of years has averaged 60 plus points for 82 games twice in that four season spin when you trade away that guy like two years after extending him two three years after extending him with five years left on his contract i i think that that says plenty that a message has to be made and nashville's currently sending that message and we we were talking about how philly was going to look for a big name defenseman whether it was seth jones or dougie hamilton I think it's safe to say they're out of the running for those guys because Ryan Ellis appears to be that guy they've been looking for. Right, right. And then the last part of the piece uh, of this these two trades um, is uh, the Flyers get Ryan Ellis. Um, and uh, so, yeah, he's 30 years old um, right now. So I guess that is a little bit of a factor. Also, like, the Flyers are gonna have Ivan Prokhorov in the mix as well as Cam York um, in the system so um, and who knows what's gonna happen with Shane goes to spare but um, so they have a pretty good defensive line mates um, around or deep pair um, in Philly I feel like this is something that like has been um, that the Phillies been looking for ever since they traded away Chris Pronger. Like they haven't really had yeah. someone like this. I mean, Provorov is pretty good though. So, so maybe not, but like, I feel like Ryan Ellis adds this extra develop, de um, development to their team because he can, sh he can do a bit of everything. He can score, shoot, contribute on the offensive side, but he can also help out on the defensive side of things. And, um, Part of me wonders if like this means that Carter Hart's going to get a bit of boost this year because he's a better defenseman than what the Flyers have been putting out, and UC Saros it might struggle a little bit because they he won't have Ryan Ellis in the mix. Um, so I am curious to see that point of view, but but at the same time, yeah, he had 18 points in 35 games this past season, but like his highest points were two years ago when he had 41 points in 82 games. And I guess even last year he had 38 points in 49 games. Uh, so that's pretty good. So he can pretty much compile all the points, um, and he's still pretty good at it. And it's impressive considering that Roman Yossi is on that team. 
um, and uh, Matthias Eichholm, who also puts up some points every now and then too. So, um, so I, I expect Ryan Ellis to um, still be pretty good in Philly, but um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's a they kind of um, it's an interesting trade. I feel like this is one of those things that. The Flyers have been looking for this type of defenseman for a long while, and they they get their guy. Yeah, and and I think the big thing, and we mentioned this uh, before as well, Brett. Uh, when Travis, uh, not Travis Sanheim, when um, Matt Niskanen retired after the 2020 playoff bubble, um, there was chatter that. Matt Niskanen was a calling presence for Ivan Provorov. And the hockey guy, who we follow on the YouTubes uh, quite a bit, we love his content. Check right. him out uh, as well if you have the time. He mentioned um, how the presence of Matt Niskanen uh, really helped Ivan Provorov. And he wasn't sure what to expect from Provorov until he could see Provorov have a big season without Niskanen. And I think Profrov took a little bit of a step back this year. So now maybe they're hoping with a veteran presence like Ryan Ellis in the fold, maybe that's the boost that Profrov specifically needs to be a consistently um, critical piece of, of that defense. There's no doubt he can rack up the minutes and he can put up points, but just be that everyday reliable defense when he's still working on that. Yep. And maybe Ryan Ellis can help with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, it should be interesting to see. By the way, they sh- I like this is technically not a three-way trade, but they should have a term for what this kind of trade is. It's like, it's like um, I want to say like a pass-through, a car wash trade because Nolan Patrick went through three teams, or something like a train ride. I don't know, like a, a loop-de-loop loop trade. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, a loop-de-loop trade. I don't know, but. Um, because technically it's not a three-way trade, but they need to figure yeah. something out like that. Get on that NHL. We need exactly. a new term for this. Exactly. Um, all right. So we're going to end this uh, this episode uh, with two kind of head-scratchers type trades here. Um, so the first one is uh, Duncan Keith goes to Edmonton uh, for uh, Tim Soderlund also goes to Edmonton. Uh, Chicago ends up getting Caleb Jones and a 2022 conditional third-round pick. Uh, that condition is if the Oilers make it to the 2022 Stanley Cup Finals and Keith is top four in playoffs uh, time on ice during the first three rounds, the pick upgrades to a 2022 second-round pick. So um, I, I guess that could happen. Um, but, um, but, yeah, so the... We, I think we talked about this on the show. We might have just only talked about it off air, but Duncan Keith. We talked about it off air for sure because this yeah. happened. I want to say. No, no, no. I was, I was going to say the Duncan Keith requesting a trade to the Pacific. Northwest. Oh yes, yes, yes. I maybe we did in passing. Yeah, and we mentioned yeah. a series of teams that, or I mentioned a series of teams that. That would probably fit the bill, and you're just like, yeah, you listed every single one that basically qualifies. It's basically the Pacific Northwest or Western Canada. Right, right, and and that's basically four teams. So yeah, and that's um, where he went. And at that point, Seattle 
didn't really exist. <laughs> so it's like, um, so it's, yeah, it was, it was basically those three Canadian teams. I think it's because his son uh, lives nearby um, or is going yeah, to school. He, his son, Colton, lives in Penticton, British Columbia. Got it. Okay. So, um, so yeah, he lives nearby. So he wanted to go to those teams. Uh, what I didn't realize, which was kind of funny, uh, was Vancouver hates Duncan Keith because he uh, injured Daniel Sedin back in the day, and uh, all the fans boo uh, Duncan Keith. I wouldn't put it past uh, the Canucks organization because this is the same one, uh, franchise that uh, brought in Mark Messier after he kind of embarrassed them in that Stanley Cup Finals, but um, and then made him the captain and all that stuff, but. Or Jim Benning, because this it would have leaked yeah, like a Jim Benning. Jim Benning. <laughs> but Edmonton, yeah, Jim Benning. Edmonton turned out to be that type of uh, team to take it on. Uh, we, I guess, they were kind of the favorites to do so. Um, however, we kind of had the assumption that, like, Chicago would retain some of Duncan Keith's contract, but that didn't happen. And they nope. still, and they, st which is, it wasn't so strange that like Dun like Edmonton wanted Duncan Keith. Like, yeah, he has all the play. Like, he's won the Stanley Cup for three years and all that stuff. And I, yeah, I guess but like Edmonton you know, was in the driver's seat. Like, yeah. they didn't have to give yeah. Chicago any slack here. No, no, they didn't. And uh, like, yeah, they did. They they could have retained it. And it's like, yeah, he's clearly not what he used to be. And all the advanced statistics say that he was literally the worst defenseman of all the defensemen that have played significant minutes this year. Um, if you look at all his advanced stats. So he's like literally the worst. Um, even worse than Seth Jones. So um, so, so it's just like, it's, it's strange he's also pretty old and he's not on a great contract so it's like what what is Edmonton doing then Ken Allen says that uh he gets uh uh that like the reason why the main reason why he brought him in was because Duncan Keith has won three cups like that's that's it and it's like oh, which, oh no which no which makes sense yeah which would make sense Brett because guess what the Ryan Suter buyout Happened the next yeah, day, true. and the day after that, the Keith Yandel buyout happened. Right. You could have gotten both of those veterans on the open market. Right. Instead, you traded for Duncan Keith because he has three cups. And also, oh, and the other thing that he mentioned was that he also brought uh, Chris Chelios um, when he was the Detroit GM at, at the same age. And it's just like, well, first off, Chris, like, like Chris Chelios was pretty good in, when he, when you brought him in, and secondly, that team also yeah. had Lindstrom and Iserman, yeah, and Fedorov and Pavel Datsuk, right. and Brett Hull. I mean, I mean that I can kind of see because like uh, you know McDavid and Drysaddle and Ryan Nugent Hopkins are you know still pretty good, um, but like um, I I think the critical thing is is like. Chris Chelios was pretty good before they got him into the Red Wings system. Um, I don't think you could say the same for Duncan Keith because it seems like when you look at his stats, 
uh, it, he, he's like dwindling every single year. I mean, I guess a change of scenery could help out, and, and who knows. And, you know, maybe he will be like a veteran presence guy, but the way that Ken Holland was acting, it seems like he's going to be a top pair defenseman. Um, and he's just, he's going to be like a big part of Edmonton moving forward. Um, there is some to note is that like, yeah, they're, they're not going to have Tyson Berry this year. Um, also it seems like Oscar Clefbaum might be, uh, injured for another year. So, so maybe that's another reason why they felt they need to make that. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So. Um, so I think this is probably like, they just wanted to get someone, um, so that they could like as a replacement for Oscar Clefbaum, cause they're worried about that. So that, that maybe there is some truth to that. Um, but even still, it's like, you could at least retain, like ask for a ret- retention. I'm sure Chicago would have obliged. <laughs> it's like, it's not like, and you know that you're competing against, three other teams at that point and only like two of two of them or I guess four other teams one of them doesn't have any players one of them one of them their fan base hates this guy and so then you're just dealing with Calgary and another team so like Chicago doesn't have too much leverage so um Caleb Jones could be decent. I, I wonder if this means that Chicago is trying to get Seth Jones because they can they got his brother type thing, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> I wonder if it'll work. Yeah. I guess it worked for uh, Rob Niedermeyer because they ended up getting Scott Niedermeyer. Oh, no, I, I reversed those. Um, they ended up getting the other brother. Anaheim ended up getting yeah. both of them because they, they originally... Got Scott Niedermeyer. Wait, now I'm confused. One of one of those things that well, they <laughs> that Scott, Scott Niedermeyer was on the Devils for the longest time. Yes, he was on the Devils for the longest time. Then he went to the Ducks and retired to Duck. Right, but Rob Niedermeyer joined the Ducks because of Scott Niedermeyer was on the team. Yeah, I I, I think yeah no yeah yeah so, somewhere along the line both of them played on the Ducks together. Yeah, yeah that was my point. Um, but I, I was just confused on who went first. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I think this is, it's interesting for Chicago because they get a decent defenseman. It's not like Caleb Jones is that terrible either. Um, but yeah, I do kind of wonder if maybe Seth Jones is going to Chicago, um, or like they're trying to make a play to get Seth Jones. Yeah, the Chicago Blackhawks tend to make plays you don't usually expect, and really, these days, just like Edmonton, doesn't really make sense. The Hawks are rebuilding. Why would they need Seth Jones? Right, yeah, that's okay. true, too. Like, yeah, like I don't Seth know. Jones wants, I would imagine Seth Jones wants to go to a winner. Like, right. Chicago's not ready to win. They're rebuilding. Everyone knows it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't know. I, I I mean Chicago. But they but they do have could, they do have Caleb Jones. You know. Chicago. They do have Caleb Jones. Yeah, they do have Caleb Jones. I I don't know. Chicago does have, like you know, they almost made the playoffs. They could have like a potential for a Minnesota type thing to happen. I don't know. I could kind of see it, um, but they are in a tough division. So, anyways, I'm all over yeah. the place here. What do you have on these trades? Uh, you can take it however you want to. 
So here's Duncan Keith over his last four years. 32 points in 82 games. By the way, there was this trend of Keith has scored X amount of goals this season, you know? Like right. Duncan Keith goal watch. It was the same with Claude Giroux for a little bit as well. Uh, but yeah, um, the first of his last four years, he had two goals in 82 games. So that's one goal every 41 games. Yeah. I know defense don't score too many goals, but that's still, I would think for Duncan Keith standards, maybe that's a bit low. Uh, does improve to six goals in 82 games the next year, and he actually gets 40 points. So respectable season there. Then the offensive numbers start to dip. Um, the 2019-20 season in 61 games, he gets only three goals and 27 points. This year in 54 games, four goals, but only 11 assists for a total of 15 points. And the other defensive metrics are taking a hit, largely because the Blackhawks' defense is sad and their team's not really doing as well as it did in the past and the the days of the Hawks dynasty are are long past them so maybe the hope is that Duncan Keith can get like a little bit of a career revival in Edmonton can at least play top four minutes which by the center club bombs injury might not have a choice um and you know what he brings that pedigree like Edmonton the core of Drysdale, Nugent Hopkins and McDavid they have a playoff series wins against the Sharks in 2017. That's all That's all they have. They have either no playoffs or playoff disappointment outside of that. So why why not bring in a guy that's not only been to conference finals, but's actually won championships, that's won two Norris trophies, that's been to four All-Star games, that's been in the league for 16 years, that was actually a part of the early Hawks rebuild in the mid-2000s. And was basically thrusted into that lineup. He's been through a lot of ups and downs in his career, and it could definitely help with the team. And I can see why Ken Olden would be so dead set in this argument of Duncan Keyser guy. Like, yeah, Brian Sewer became available the day after. Brian Sewer hasn't been to the conference finals once, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. And Keith Yandel. I think the only time he's been in the conference finals is what, 2012 with Arizona? Yeah. Back when they were called Phoenix, right? That was pretty much the only time. So they might have the better offensive numbers than Duncan Keith. And a lot of people might say, well, how much worse is Ryan Sewer compared to Duncan Keith? Or how much worse is Keith Yandel compared to Duncan Keith? They, they, don't have what Duncan Keith possesses and that's that winning mindset and that winning pedigree. So, and that's, that's the only part of the argument where the Oilers win here. If they reach the Stanley cup finals with Duncan Keith on their team over these next two years in the short term, in the immediate moment, you can make a decent argument for getting Duncan Keith. Beyond that, though, this could turn into a Zibanejad for Broussard situation where, yeah, it might seem good in the moment, but it gets really, really bad year after year after year after year because Caleb Jones, hey, you never know. He, he could turn into a very solid top four defenseman who puts up 30 to 40 points a year. The one thing that concerns me with Caleb Jones is how he was utilized with the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, you look at Chicago, they have a young defensive court that includes the likes of Adam Bielkvist, Wyatt Kalanick, Ian Mitchell, Alec Regula, and Nicholas Bodie. 
and uh, he's uh, he by he I mean Caleb Jones is set to make nine hundred thousand dollars this coming season before he becomes an RFA with arbitration rights. And you take a look at his NHL numbers in 2018-19. And that season, he has six points in 17 games. So that's a 29 per 82 pace. He's averaging 19.48 time on ice per game. And he ranked fifth out of 13 Oilers defenders um, in, in that category. And other names that were below him included the likes of Andre Sequeira, Matt Benning, Kevin Gravel, Alex Petrovic, Brandon Manning, Jason Garrison, Evan Bouchard, and Chris Weidman. Remember that former center play on the Oilers for a hot minute? It wasn't. It wasn't long at all. It was very short-lived. <laughs> but anyways, then you go to 2019-2020 where he plays in 43 games and gets nine points. His average ice time shoots down from 1948 to 14.08 in just one year. So he's eighth out of Oilers defenders in time on ice per game and seventh out of 11th uh, defensemen in games played. The year before, he was ninth out of 13, which which is interesting because his ice time usage was higher as a rookie. It's lower as a second-year player. The three names that were below him in the time on ice per game department were Matt Benning, William Legison, and Brandon Mann. This past year, 33 games played, only four assists to his name, so that's 10 points already, two games, and his average ice time decreases again to 13.36, and he's also a minus seven. Slayer Kukuk is the only name with a lower TOI average than Caleb Jones out of all Oilers defensemen that played on the team. Like, Two questions. Are you utilizing Caleb Jones correctly, or is he really that bad that you don't trust him in those high-leverage situations? And I think with the Chicago Blackhawks, we're about to find out which is the case. Because I really don't think the Oilers gave him enough chances to succeed here. Like, they put too much ice time on the shoulders of Darnell Nurse and Ethan Bear and Adam Larson, and that's why you got the marathon game that Darnell Nurse played in Game 4. Because they barely utilized anyone else. So my question is, what amount of ice time are you going to give Duncan Keith? And is he more equipped to handle that better than Caleb Jones did? Well, supposedly, I I think from the looks of it, and I I mentioned this before, is that it seems like Duncan Keith's going to be like a top pairing guy. He's going to be like a Tyson, what Tyson Berry was this year. So I, I think they're going to do it there. But even that, that presents some problems too because he, you know, he's not good anymore. So it's like you have to hope that he's going to be, like he's going to be revitalized by this move um, because they're, you know, when I first heard of it, I just assumed that he would be like a veteran presence and that, I mean, that's, that's helpful for a team like Edmonton. Um, and that's certainly something that Edmonton, uh, that Edmonton needs but at the same token like if you're going to give Duncan Keith a lot of ice time I don't know if that's the smartest idea either um so so maybe it uh, like I feel like it it might not be the best move from Ken Holland's standpoint 
Um, you meant you keep on mentioning it and you keep on comparing it to Ryan Suter and Keith Yandel, who just got bought out after um, the trade of Duncan Keith. But um, I don't, I don't really think you can really compare it because I don't know like if how Ken Holland would be able to know that Ryan Suter was available or Keith Yandel was available. Like I'm sure he could probably guess that Keith Yandel would be available, but I don't think he would be able to like tell. So I feel like it's just a coincidence that that happened. And it's unfortunate for Edmonton, but um, I, I feel like it was just a coincidence on on um, his part. Um, I think the I'm bigger. I'm curious if it would have affected his decision making at all. If any yeah. of those guys were available at the time he was about to trade for Duncan Keith, if he still would have gone for Duncan Keith, I still think he probably would have because Duncan Keith has the pedigree right. that Suter and Yandel don't, and that is he has cup rings. Right. So I, he I get that. that, like you said in his press conference. And he also has a con Smythe too. So uh, yeah. where he exactly. played a, a lot of minutes. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it's. Yeah, I guess it's one of those things that we'll see. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't, he probably would. I think you're right, but I don't know. I think it, it probably, he may have definitely thought about it, but it's definitely was a coincidence. So we'll see. Um, and then we're going to end the show on what, probably one of the more stranger trades. Um, not so much with the players that were the player that was being dealt, but just the, organization of it um and we this is the second time we're going to be critical of the islanders um they trade uh anders lee uh arizona to arizona uh arizona also gets a 2021 second round pick uh which is colorado's um a 2022 conditional second round pick and a 2023 conditional third round pick uh, those conditions, so for the second round pick in 2022, the Coyotes will receive the better of the two 2022 th- second round picks the Islanders currently have, which is either their own or Colorado's. Um, and then this uh, the third round pick in 2023 um, is transferred if Ladd plays in at least one game in 2022-2023. Um, and uh, if you're wondering why I announced it that way uh arizona gets our our the islanders get nothing they just get future considerations um but that and cap yeah i guess they get cap space but that's literally it um yeah so um i think this is this is you know oddly enough i didn't even realize you could do that um like i that feels like in a way cap circumvention (laughs) <laughs> it was just like, okay, take all these things. Um, but I kind of like it for both sides, having said all that, because I, I get the sense that Andrew Ladd is not going to play. Like, I think he's been on LTIR for the last couple of years. He um, He's just not good anymore. Um, but, you know, he could still be useful for a team like Arizona, because there is a chance for that. They are kind of running low on the cap floor. They've been known to do this type of thing before, where they like they have Marion Hosa's um, uh, rights, for instance. Um, they I think they held on to a couple of other players like that, so um, I could see that happening. Also, like Arizona's not going to have a pick. Uh, they forfeited their pick due to that like tampering 
scandal. So, um, and it looks like they really need it. Um, they need as many picks as they can. So, um, so getting a second round pick, even if this year is, is fine, um, and then they get you know a conditional second round pick and a third round pick, that's fine too. Um, and I think we talked about this, but it, it appears that no one is safe in Arizona. Uh, they just traded in uh, Aiden Hill, which we'll probably talk about next week. Um, but like they don't have, um, you know, it's it. There's rumors that uh, Connor Garland's on the block. Um, so is uh, OEL, um, who we've talked about before. So it appears like no one's safe, on the exception of Jacob Trickren. Um and um, everyone else is fair game. Um, and that, I mean, I think in a way that is kind of what Arizona should do. They, they're trying to, um, sweep up the mess that is John Chaka and what he, uh, what he created. But, um, any, you know, there was parts of things that John Chaka did well. Um, but like, it, it appears that Arizona is just going to try to, um, you know, maybe rebuild and, they, they don't have their first round pick, which is going to sting, but but it kind of like reminds me of what Ottawa did after that horrific Matt Duchesne trade um, did, where they traded away um, a bunch of guys like Ryan Dezingle, Matt Duchesne, um, Mark Stone at the trade deadline just to get some pieces back so that they could kind of compensate for what they were losing or about to lose. So, um, and in the case of Eric Carlson, they got yeah. Josh Norris and Tim Stutzla, who were right. a big part of the current rebuild. So. Right, exactly. So, so it's uh, so I think this is what more or less what Arizona is going to try to do is like if they're mm-hmm. I I would assume Connor Garland's gone, um, and they'll probably get some picks back for him and uh, probably maybe some Trey process. Kemper as well. Even though Kemper like might be him. another one, yeah. Um, although for Kemper, I, I don't know. I feel like that Aiden Hill trade made it seem like they might keep Kemper, um, but uh, like they don't have a goalie really, um, other than Kemper. So. There are plenty of UFA goalies they can get. They they could, but I I, I feel like they're gonna they're gonna keep uh, Kemper, uh, but um, who knows? Maybe he's unhappy or has requested a trade or whatever. But but anyways, call Arizona's a mess. We sort of already talked about the Islanders, and they're kind of strange too. But um, yeah, it's just um, I guess Islanders are doing it for cap space reasons. Um, but even still, like Andrew Ladd was just making four million dollars, so it's not like it wasn't it was a joke of a contract or anything like that. But they do have twelve million in cap space, and they can sign Kyle Palmieri or Travis Sajak. Um, or Sororkin. Um, so, so maybe they just spend that money on signing some free agents or they go out and get like a Tarasenko type player or something like that. What's interesting about the Andrew Ladd trade, uh, the contract rather, um, is cap is actually 5.5 million for another two years. And starting this past season, he had to submit a list of 15 teams he could not be traded to. So like that's basically half the league. Right. 
so the New York Islanders, I guess, did the very savvy thing and just didn't play him. They stashed him in Bridgeport yep. to the point where, like, I guess he'd play anywhere. Uh, you look at his NHL tools in 2016-17. It's a classic Lou Lamarillo move. That's like yeah, cold yeah. Blooded. So in 2016-17, before Lou Lamarillo came around, he had 31 points in 78 games. It was a minus 14, but he had 23 goals. And then he had 12 goals, 17 assists for 29 points in 73 games. That year, where I'm pretty sure that kid won the Calder, and then Barca, and then Tavares left town. Since then, three goals, eight assists for 11 points in 26 games. That was 2018-19. Last year, one goal in four games. And after those four games, hasn't played with the Islanders since. Here are his AHL numbers. Kid you not, these are his AHL numbers the past couple of years. In 2018-19, he played two games with the Bridgeport Sound Tigers, the AHL, and he got one goal, four assists, five points. Pretty decent. Last year, 34 games played, 11 goals, three assists for 14 points. This year, minus one, one game played, no points at all. That's in the AHL. So they're taking on a guy with a big cap hit that hasn't played NHL hockey in at least a year, maybe longer than that, and even in the AHL hasn't really done all that well. Right. So I wonder how this 2016 contract, by the way, the 2016 contracts, he was one of them. I wonder how this is going to end. It's probably either going to end – in a buyout, or they just leave him on for the final two years because, like the early John Chaka years, Arizona isn't probably going to be expected to do much of anything, and they're going to rebuild. Right. And you'll just be a body that's there to log minutes, play games, and anything he does is just gravy on top of his career. And he's 50 games away from 1,000, so... You know what? If he plays in 50 games, he gets to 1,000 games. There's yep. a reward for Andrew Ladd. But I don't expect a career resurgence for a guy who's currently 35 years old and hasn't really played much NHL hockey. You're 100% right that it is a lot about the picks. Like, here's here's the actual details, the conditions of the trade. Well, I just said the conditions. And, yeah, so one of them for the uh, third I, round I, I already pick, said the conditions, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, I need to repeat this for the third, though. (laughs) Next year, 2022-23, he needs to play in at least one game, and the third-round pick goes to Arizona. Yeah, He just needs to play one game for a pick to be transferred. Like, that's how little they're expecting of him. Yeah. Like, I find that absolutely laughable. It is pretty funny. It's so laughable, it's sad, but... Like they're 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 just trying to acquire anything, anything to rebuild this team, and it's more about the conditional picks, picks in general, than just getting players. Yeah, you need players on the roster, but Andrew Ladd's no game changer, and, and the conditions of those picks proves it. Yeah, I, I, I think it was more like, okay, like it kind of reminded me of that David Backus type trade uh, that the Bruins did for Anaheim a couple of years ago, where like they give you David Backus, but um, 
but Anaheim was was expecting you to get like sub like a large return because you're taking on a a contract that's not good. So yeah. um so like, you know, the Bruins ended up giving up their first round pick just so that they could um move on from David Backus and that contract. So um so I think that was a I don't think it was surprising that they let go of Andrew Ladd. I think what was kind of crazy is like uh the Islander like Arizona couldn't have just done like a 20 24 seventh round pick you know just squeak that by like just like it, it just feels so weird when you see it on the trade transactions list it's like okay Arizona gets all these things but then the Islanders don't really get anything I guess other than cap space but I don't know it, it was just it was just funny I mean, I mean, I guess for Arizona, it could be worse. They could be without their 2022 first when the right. first round of that draft is better than this year's first true, round. True, true. So, at yeah. least they have that. that. That's, I mean, that's fair. I, I guess it's it's that. And we'll see if, like, what the return is on Connor Garland or OEL, if those guys yeah. do get traded. But I, I'm almost wondering, like, if, if they're, like, tearing it down just to load up on picks next year. Yep. And, and kind of, like, build that way. Because that would be the time to do it, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I that's like a, you're speaking like a fantasy hockey manager because that's the, <laughs> what uh, I'm trying to do. Um, so, yeah. Um, oh, and I guess we could talk about the, like, I guess that is kind of what uh, they did with uh, San Jose because, um, yeah, they give up the better goalie in Aiden Hill but they, uh, there's also the other part where they get back a 2022 second-round pick from San Jose, and the Sharks get a seventh-round pick from Arizona as well. So it's like a five-round upgrade for taking the worser goalie. Um, and who knows what Joseph Cornar is. A Cornage, I think is his name. I yeah, Kozinash. It's a Bufflin. It's a Bufflin situation yeah. where like his last name is nowhere near close to the pronunciation. Right, of course, and I yeah. can't, for the life of me, wrap my head around so, it. Yeah, yeah. But it's not. And it's not like Aiden Hill's just like this AHL goalie that yeah. had great numbers. He was pretty good really the last couple seasons. Yeah. Yeah, like the last couple of eight, games. You, you look at the NHL numbers, the big league numbers that Aiden Hill put up last year. They're actually decent, given yep. how bad Arizona was. Yep. Like, why would you give up on him? Like, I thought the plan would be to let Ranta walk in free agency, trade Kemper for futures, and see what he can do. Give yep. him the crease for, like, 30, 40, 50 games, however many. See what he can do. Instead, you just trade him to San Jose, who then decides, we like him already, and we're going to protect him over Martin Jones in the expansion draft. Yeah, that <laughs> that part isn't that um, confusing, but... Um... Or like, or surprising because it's like Martin Jones is the worst goalie of the last two years. So that I can understand. Although I guess he got yeah. better a little bit this uh, this past year. But yeah, but, but um, teams. But yeah, I, I feel I, like I'm a lot of teams would be that. willing to trust Aiden Hill, and I don't yep. know why the Coyotes would just willingly let him walk like that. Yeah, no, it was definitely a good move by San Jose on that on that standpoint. Yeah. But um, so good on them. But yeah, it's just interesting. All right, uh, we have to go. Um, it's a long episode here, so hopefully you stood by. Um, if not, enjoy the Seattle expansion draft. I'm sure craziness has just begun. 
Um, so, so yeah, it was, it was definitely interesting because we were complaining about all the, there were no trades and then finally all these trades happened. So, um, I, I expect there's probably going to be a couple more stuff and maybe with this price news that more will come out on that. It does seem well, a little fishy that this news has come out. Like, I wonder if he's actually injured or, and, and not yeah. only that, you also have the NHL draft that's coming up yep. where probably more trades are going to happen. Right. So, Next week, we actually have a jam-packed episode, special guest included, probably. Yep. And uh, and then Confirmed. free agency starts uh, July 28th, so we're going to have uh, more news to react to in a couple weeks as well. For sure. All right, sounds good. Um, you can listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, and uh, SoundCloud, uh, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, subscribe to us, listen to us there. Um, our uh, Facebook is Lace Em Up. Our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. It's funny because usually Steve does the whole account, but uh, yesterday I was retweeting everything because uh, Steve was uh, predisposed. So I was, I, I I got a feel for what you you deal with on on a usual day. It was it was kind of fun to be honest. So yeah. I I enjoy that. Um, at, so the Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Um, we're pretty active on there too. So, uh, yeah, that's about it. Um, I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 279 of the Lace Em Up podcast.